Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Waltrip here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those bells tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst, Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. Leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. What do you say, Herm? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday. This is kind of out of the ordinary, isn't it? Uh, nothing like a Sunday in the capital of the Commonwealth. Sitting high atop the Stanley Law Group skyscraper overlooking the beautiful capital of the Commonwealth. Here in Richmond, Virginia, in the Stanley Law Group conference room. And you know who you brought again? We want to tell them? Shep Mouse is back again. Hello, Shep. Good afternoon. I should have brought my stocking cap and gloves. This is a bit nippy here in the <laughs> Can you run out today? to the... <laughs> Run over to the store and get us a space heater or some description. <laughs> These are almost unbearable conditions. Working conditions. Everybody's still wearing their jacket. The heat is not back on at the Stanley Law Group skyscraper. Uh, my boy Crovo didn't get the job done. So uh, it's it's a balmy sixty two degrees in here. I think that's fine, right? It was not sixty two degrees in here. Go back there and look. It's not sixty two in here in July right now. <laughs> Well, you know, it's an older building. So the pilot light is out. So, you you know, I think it's crisp. I think it'll keep us on our toes. It's a bit nippy. Uh, we may have to rely on each other for warmth. <laughs> but it's good to see you, fellas. Now, this is a little early. This is Sunday. I've just gotten back from Richmond. I mean, from home, back to Richmond. Went home for the weekend, saw my boys' uh, basketball game. How'd they go? Uh, they're scoring points, but they're not winning yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they're young. So it's really kind of learning the game. At that age... At that level of playing, if the other team has one really good player, it's over. And it's that's over. exactly what happened. They had one guy, he's like 6'3". <laughs> My kids, you know, playing in the 10 11. Do you want to go check the, the uh, birth, certificate. birth certificate? I might have muttered that in the stands. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's going on? No way that kid. I actually, uh, yesterday morning, got up before I went to work and just went over to the Greensville County High School there in Emporia and watched the EGRA little, little kids play. You know, they got a... A group of like seven, eight, nine year olds playing, then the 10, 11, 12 year olds playing. I went over there and watched a couple hours of entertainment. Entertainment. Put your cable out. <laughs> yeah. Do they lower the goal for the for the for the, the little, young for the little kids? Yeah, yeah. yeah lower the goal. Lower the goal, and uh, it it was fun. Brings back a lot of memories. I coached and played, you know, in that league, and Elliot coached Wyatt and all that, and so but first time I'd been in several years. But they it was fun and entertaining, but. The reason I brought up again about one good player, one of the teams played two games while I was there, and they just had one kid. He wasn't necessarily that tall, but as far as being able to rebound and dribble and pass and shoot, he was by far 
the best player on the court, and he single-handedly whipped the other team. It's a one-man game. game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about what we saw. Kind of like you and they beat up. They beat him by like 18 points. Yeah. But, you know, the guys are learning to pass to shoot, and they're smaller, so they're just getting outmanned. I yeah. mean, they get yeah. past the ball, and, and the, whoever the coach is on the winning team, he just swarms the small kids. And... uh and then the big kid, you know, we've got a big kid there. He's a really big, big kid, but he's a little, you know. Now, uh, in, thick. In, the, in the EGRA league, in, in the lower level, younger kids, they don't let them press in the backcourt. They have to, you know, it's all pick up at half court. So, right. That's a good rule. No, they got press at the backcourt here. It's full on game. And, and it's an amazing thing how the Rex, uh, the Rex uh, managed to get those games in and out. You know, it's an hour. Clock runs. Clock now. runs. <laughs> Clock and, runs. Yeah, you know, they they cut it down, but you got an hour. Four ten minute, you know, quarters. Maybe it's now it's forty minutes. You know, but it takes about an hour. And uh, they're in, they're out next, and then you clear out of the stands, and the next people come in. And sometimes you're watching big kids before you get there, and then you know the little ones get on, and then the big kids get back, and sometimes they don't. But they they play the regular height, which is what nine and a half, ten, ten, ten. Yeah, they do ten. So, you know, but boy can shoot. He can shoot. He can dribble. How old is he? He's ten. Oh, that's awesome. But he's, uh, but you know, I think he's just learning the game, so it's pass. Is he vertically challenged like he, you are? He has the Stanley trait so far. Yes, gotcha. compared to some of his friends on his team, he would be the shortest guy on the team. Well, he better be a good three point shooter. Uh, he can throw. We have a. My wife and I got him a basketball, like full size uh, backboard rim yeah. stand. We put it up. Took like five hours to put up, and. Uh, he can shoot, so we'll go out there and play horse, or you know, do a little one on one and make him good. drive against me. But he's he's learning it, and uh, he's getting into sports finally now. So that's that's fun to watch. But it's fun to go home and watch. And then you're, I guess, I'm getting this for the first time, Herm. You guys, you're kind of a terrified parent because you don't know what's going to happen. Are you? You video, hope they do well. Are you videoing taping? No, yeah. not yet. You no. should. <laughs> Why? No, sir, because it's going to be a great memory in the future to go back and look at. You really okay. should videotape some. Okay, I will. Create some memories. All right. When, shouldn't you wait until they're better passers or shooters? That's just part of the fun. Okay. Yeah, well, it's fun to watch it. It's you can look back and say, look back. Remember, look. Remember I, when? Look when you first started, Chandler. Look how much better you've gotten. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, I'll start doing it. I know you this. don't like my ideas when it comes to parenting. <laughs> you've got some wild Generally speaking. You've got some crazy ones that go against the what I've always traditionally believed in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You cold? I'm freezing. <laughs> You're sitting no, there. The shrink, hands in your jacket. The, shrink, the shrinkage is major. Shaking. Here at the Stanley Law Group. <laughs> Man, I got to keep you guys on your toes. My water actually has ice left in it. Well, the problem is, is you guys carved up. You, you carbo-loaded at fast food, didn't you, today? Coming up here, we're on a weight loss challenge. I'm taking it seriously. I've had one, one carb-free tortilla with some butter on it. Yep. And what have you guys chatted well, down with today? I mean, start in the morning. Well, it started back on Friday, actually. If you, <laughs> I know you've been getting updates all weekend. Yeah, actually, you guys went, uh, you'd said in the last podcast you were going to Middleburg. Middleburg. To we a went, steakhouse. We went. It was delicious. And uh, Hermie sent me a photo of you looking like you're trying to eat what looked to be a large piece of cake in one bite. Was that what it I was? I would call it, well, one of our friends, you know, several months ago on the show, we had Ronnie Shirley of Lizard Lick Towing. Mm -hmm. Well, his partner in crime on that show was a guy named Bobby Brantley. And so Bobby's also a friend of mine. And him and his wife, Melanie, came up and met us at Middleburg on Friday night. And she happened to bring a full box of 
deep fried pastries. Oh no! That were full of oh, shepherd like cream cheese, and some were had chocolate on chocolate them. icing, cream cheese. What were they shaped in? Like were like they, a big old cro- almost like a, like a croissant. croissant. Okay, so like it's as big a, as a donut or bigger, bigger, bigger than bigger. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Now, all right, all right, all right. And I know everybody's interested because this weight loss challenge is on the tip of everybody's tongue here in the General Assembly, in the 2023 General Assembly. But let me ask you a question, Shep. I had a asparagus. What'd you have for dinner? I had a 12 ounce ribeye that was cooked to perfection. Less than a pound. <laughs> I did not. I was not allowed to get a baked potato, so I who, had. Who, who uh, would have kept you from that? Bobby Brantley. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I had asparagus, which he would not eat. By the way, he had a sweet potato, a baked sweet potato, which is better for you. It is, and I had a salad. Okay, would you have? Would you have on the salad? <laughs> I did have dressing. Uh, did you have croutons? No croutons. What kind of dressing? Could it be that fat French. free? French. It was French. French. All right. And then, Did you eat two pastries? Or how many pastries? pastries? I ate one. No, seriously. And I licked my fingers when I finished it. <laughs> was it that was the picture that of you good. jamming that thing in your yes. mouth? Yes. And luckily, I think Hermie took it off of our email chain because I don't have it anymore. But I, I stared at that and said, oh, damn. Tell him just to write the check right now. That's what I texted back. Well, let me tell you what we had for lunch today. Sure. So, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Hermie. What did you have for dinner? At oh, your, exactly. Let's go at back your to that supper club. I had a sixteen ounce ribeye, <laughs> the full pounder, cooked medium, the tomahawk. I had not a baked potato, not a sweet potato, not French fries, but one, load, one corner of a waffle fry. loaded mashed potatoes, <laughs> loaded, loaded mashed potatoes. Oh my goodness! And I had a salad with. Why? I, I asked for ranch <laughs> three different times. So I had extra, extra, extra ranch dressing. You guys are doing great. You guys just like coughing up cash? And oh, wait, croissant. the company's picking up the idea. Well, the croissant was kind of just to go along with the group. You know, I oh, felt, you felt like I peer mean, pressure. I felt they obligated. Stopped in, in they, both these. they stopped down in, in the Smithfield, North Carolina area and picked these. Pastries up and brought them to the dinner for everybody. Oh, so you, so you thought you were going to be insulting them if you didn't? Yeah, no question. It was obligation. No yeah, it was no oblig- obligatory. <laughs> obligatory, maybe <laughs> that too. Yeah. <laughs> so we were obligated. So still, still sugared out from that thing. I can see. Before now, he tells a story about today, I got Haley with me. Mm-hmm. We're riding up the road. Great to see her. Haley at first it said she wanted Bojangles. Then as I'm getting off the exit, as Shep will know, she said. Do you want to pick different? I said, what do you want? She wanted to pick McDonald's. So what I was going to plan on doing was stopping over in Petersburg at a place called King's Barbecue, where we typically get get barbecue sandwiches over here. We went to King's Barbecue on this Sunday, and I was surprised and disappointed to see- Heartbroken. Heartbroken that they were closed. Oh. Don't know why. Uh, on Maybe they observed the blue laws. So, you know, because- Chick-fil-A, you couldn't get that today, right? Because they're closed. So we ended up in, Haley wanted to go to McDonald's. Okay. So. A long line. Long line. Waited but, for But McDonald's. we have to go through the drive through with Haley because she has a routine. Yeah. Right. And so um, all I really had was a small fry and a, and a, and a, and a water. <laughs> <laughs> Am I to believe that? Seriously? <laughs> Did you see the picture I sent you of Shep? Yeah. He was holding <laughs> fries and nuggets, yeah. and he ate five of those little pouches of, of, of 
sweet and sour sweet and sauce <laughs> along with them. Oh my! God. But there was no ketchup. So, are you? Are we taking this seriously, guys? Well, I mean, this is for our future and our health, for our family. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what this young man. Because I'm taking it seriously. With this fine young man, the 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 first Virginia senator for the newly 17th district. He will be the first senator. Let me tell you what he ate today. <laughs> A Big Mac with cheese, no pickle. Well, you know. A large what, fry. What, what part of it did I eat? Are you going, I'm getting to that. Story? A large fry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you never tell the whole story. And a large Coke. And then he added a 10-piece nugget on top of that. <laughs> now, in his defense, he only ate nine of the 10 nuggets. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's No sauce, no ketchup, no salt. He says he only ate the patty, no bread, but I cannot confirm that. Yes, yet. I can't confirm it. You handed me a, a container that was closed. I don't know what was in it. So so right now, if I had to like paint a picture of how your guy's diet challenge 2.0 is going, Hermes is like, you know, when, when them race cars shoots out the parachute to slow it down, he's trying to slow down the weight gain. You just seem to be – you. I think you have this backwards that you think if you top out as the biggest man in this room that somehow you get a prize to your team. Um, I can tell you since we taped, I've been eating salads and drinking water, with the exception <laughs> of Friday exception and to Sunday of when I'm with Hermie. But other than that, I'm good. So you're saying you're he's ba- a bad influence. So you're saying you're bad for each other. Is that right? Oh, he's bad for me. Yeah. Oh, Hermie, you going to take that? You're a bad That's influence. That's fine. It's fine. You were a horrible influence. I am. What, what other bad habits have you given Chap? I mean, he's he's also not telling you Friday night in Middleburg. I looked down at his end of the table, and it was about 25 Michelob Ultra bottles down there. So I don't know who. <laughs> I guess are, I was sitting next to Bobby, though. <laughs> but Bobby don't drink. Well, <laughs> so now what? You're running out My of alibi. My wife was beside me. <laughs> well, she got a problem. She was here. having fun. Okay. It was a great dinner. Okay. Should we just Great wait? fellowship. Should we weigh you guys just for fun? I mean, No, 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 no. I will wait. You will? I will wait. I will not. <laughs> Don't you want to find out where Shep is? No, right sir. Now? I just couldn't care less. And look, really? it ain't time for the for <laughs> let the me tell you this. Layoff yet? I understand, but I just want to see if he's if he's holding or increasing. No, I, well, I can promise you, he's increasing. <laughs> when I went home after this last weigh in, I weighed two forty two on my home scales, and here I was two forty six. Wow, you went home and lost four pounds. That's amazing. Well, I'm just questioning the the uh, those scales were brought in by Hermie. Have they been calibrated? Uh, I'm going to trust Hermie Sadler. I mean, anyway, it's always a numerical difference between the three of us. That's what matters. So, has the weight man just calibrated? So, ladies and gentlemen, when are we going to get to the show? Ladies and gentlemen, just to remind you, we're in a weight loss challenge. We have um, put up money again. I won the first weight loss challenge. This is 2.0. Your charity, which will get 0.0, is what, Chap? The Virginia State Police Association. Excellent. I'm losing so they can win. And, Hermie, I, you're on the that's, Bill Carrico diet right now, that's buddy. That's what I'm sticking with. Executive that's my director story. of the association's diet. What Hermie, a great Virginian he was. What's your charity? The Hermie and Elliot Sadler Foundation. And that was really nice last and week. And by the way. You gave $1,000 to yeah, the Yeah, I actually, this past week, mailed a check out to um, former Senator Bill Carrico and his foundation, State Police Foundation. That's so I sent him $1,000 That's awesome. last week. That's Did really you do that, Shep? 
Uh, well, I didn't say I was going to oh. do that. <laughs> The company is covering his eight hundred dollar loss. Okay. So the company, yeah, the company SLG Consulting, which is part owner with Sadler Motorsports. Well, I tell you what. Instead of paying my loss, I'll pay that. You fix the heat in this damn joint. We'll be a whole lot better off. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I should probably take what I'm paying for you and and put it to the heat. Do something. We'll have it done right about the time where it gets springtime, and then we'll have something go wrong with the air conditioning. That's the way it goes. So, uh, okay, so, and mine is, of course, Planned Pet Hood out of Franklin County, the Humane Society of Franklin County. We each put $500 into the till. If we're a pound over or a fraction thereof, it's $100. Wow. If it's a fraction, like, Hermie, you were 0.4 in the last way, uh, the weigh-in. Mm-hmm. So you paid $40 more. Shep, how, how much more did you pay? Eight. He owes <laughs> $800. <laughs> That's quite a, I mean, that's quite a, I hope every That should be a good it. incentive, shouldn't it? But guys, I want you to be healthy. I mean, you know, you were saying in the last podcast episode, maybe yep. you had some blood work come back that yep. kind of make you, as pre-diabetic, kind of go, hmm, maybe. I'm not sure what that life. means. I've got a, I just found out this morning. So. It means you like sugar. That's what it means. I get it. But you, you I married over, a sweet girl. You haven't overdone the sugar just yet to be, to be insulin dependent, but you should watch that. And you, and look, change the diet will change it. all of that. I hope. All right. That well, means I can't hang out with Hermie anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the third show of Leading Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. We're here, of course, in Richmond. Uh, we've got some special guests coming up uh, today. We're going to talk, I think, just about the General Assembly, maybe talk about politics. Yeah, y'all love the uh, things are going on and, and what the Democrats are not doing. Y'all just wrapped up, your, I guess, your first full week of session. So what's your overall feeling on how things are going? Uh, the same way that I f- kind of felt when I came here, which is... Uh, I think we're getting ready to see it heat up. Um, right now, the Democrats are killing all really good Republican bills in the Senate because they're controlling the Senate. In the House, much could be said that good Republican bills are getting out and the Democrat bills are getting killed while the Democrat bills in the Senate are getting out. And then when they all cross over, they'll kill each other's bills. And we'll see if we get much done. And then everybody starts focusing on, you know, because this year in 2023 is an election year. We've been talking about it, Hermie Sadler. We've got... 140 people in there. Maybe some of them are retired. But everybody's thinking about the election. Everybody's thinking about brochure bills. Everybody's thinking about being the most conservative or the most liberal to appeal to whatever might be in front of them in the primary. And just like we've talked before, 61 of those seats, 61 because of redistricting, have incumbents potentially running against each other and some pretty big incumbents too. So uh, I think uh, it's going to get a little more chippy. But I don't see a lot getting done. We're going to talk about one of those bills. We're going to have uh, John Lee, the CEO of Mecklenburg Cooperative, electrical cooperative, started by the farmers, uh, owned by the people that get the electricity. And their uh, executive director for the governmental affairs, Andrew Vehorn. We're going to talk about co-ops in general. I mean, how do they get their start? How do they get into the broadband industry? What's the current state of broadband throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and especially Southside Southwest? And we'll even talk about I'm carrying a bill. Uh, to try to solve one of their problems that's been created between broadband, the co-ops, and our railways. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And I've known John for years, and so I'm sure he's got some funny stories, and i got a couple about him as mm. well. And so I think it's a really important topic here in the General Assembly because we're trying to make sure that we get broadband into every home. And where we're finding the, the biggest struggle is getting broadband into rural areas and inner cities. And most well, I've of the heard people, several legislators say that it was done and they did it all. Yeah, well, uh, then, <laughs> then they ain't paying attention because, you know, it's it's not just even the line laying the cable. It's the hookups and the access. 
And so we're going to talk about those very important issues to the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's so critically important to our children and our future, making sure that they have access to information. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of my bills uh, if we want, and we're going to talk about what you've been doing in your campaign. I was curious. And we'll talk about whether Shep Moss has burned anything while he was at town council. Just take a look. Just take a look. I want to ask you about a bill that I that I was surprised to see, but encouraged to see. But before we get to that, I would like to, if you have a moment, ask Shep Moss mm. to give us just a uh, to the update to the ability that he can of you know what's been going on with in South Hill and Town Council of South Hill. We've been following that. We've had people ask about it. So tell us what you're able to tell us as of right now. Well, in January, you know, we had our uh, local elections like so many localities did back in November. We did have two new council members come on. Their first meeting was in January. And uh, it started with a bang in South Hill. They have brought uh, uh, outsider perspective being new to council. They had a lot of questions. They questioned a lot of uh, procedures. They questioned a lot of things that was done uh, in our agenda by the town manager. And uh, I think it set the tone pretty strong that, that this council is is going in, in a new direction as far as how meetings are going to be conducted and what we're expecting to happen in our meetings. I was glad to see it. Uh, we're rapidly approaching our budget season, like most localities across the Commonwealth are. And it's going to be real interesting to see if it uh, remains business as normal, because that's just the way we've always done things, or uh, are these new council members going to be able to help us make some, for at least in my opinion, some very needed uh, changes moving forward. So, what do y'all got? What's y'all's next meeting? When what y'all got coming up? Uh, we have a called meeting uh, Tuesday night at six o'clock, dealing with some personnel issues. I'm not. Uh, real privy to all of that information at this time. And then our normal council meeting will be in February. We meet every second Monday night of each month. So we'll see what it what is. What are you hearing from the citizens of South Hill? Because let's just tell it like it is. It's somewhat of a changing of the guard going on in South Hill. So what is the overall feeling in South Hill as y'all, the town and the governing body goes through this transition. Well, you know, it's funny, I, and I mentioned it to you before, it's kind of like Democrats and Republicans, except for on the local level, I don't think the party politics play into the local government, but it's the old guard, new guard. And I think overwhelmingly our citizens are excited. I know our local businesses are excited about fresh ideas and new perspectives. And uh, Nance, just up to us to be able to work together and deliver the goods. And, and I'm very confident we're going to be able to do that. Uh, we definitely have to, in my opinion, make some, some very bold changes. But I feel like they are coming. And uh, I think the brighter days for South Hill are, are lie just ahead of us. Well, you sound chippy. I mean, you sound like all in like the glass I'm half full. I'm excited. Well, you don't I haven't even know been what money we're giving you yet from the <laughs> from the state. Hey, I haven't been excited in two and a half years because I've spent two and a half years of just literally trying to raise my hand to ask a question without being 
uh, you know, attacked for even asking a question. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, I th- look, we're going to have a rough patch. No question about it. But I do think the South Hills brightest days are, are just around the corner. And I hope to play a vital part in those bright days. What's the budget of South Hill? What's a town like that? First, what's the population? We are just under 5,000. So about 46, 4,700. Um, in the town. In the town. Right. In the town. 33,000 in the county. Uh, our budget is around $24 million. It was this year because we've got some major infrastructure projects we're going. It normally runs around $10, $12 million a year. And most of the revenue that you get comes from where? That is uh, for your general fund to spend on general projects, recurring expenses, bond payments, whatever. Uh, do you collect that from the state or do you collect that in local taxes such as transient occupancy, sales tax, meals tax? Yeah, we have a meals and lodging tax. It's 1%. That's a, a very good revenue stream. That's, for that's us. really low. Uh, you know, yeah. like Virginia Beach has like <laughs> seven or eight, I think it is. Well, that's a tourist so. destination location and we're not that. So. Uh, you know, we do want to be mindful of our local citizens when it comes to taxes, but we've got some infrastructure projects. We've got uh, fire department needs. We're going to have some police department needs. We may need to look at adjusting that tax or redirecting those funds or earmarking them for special projects that are coming up. Hmm. Uh, it has been earmarked in the past for our colonial community theater, which uh, uh, some of our listeners may know that story, but we had a one cent tax that was earmarked for them. Uh, they have since changed to nonprofit and changed their uh, business status. So I think that's one revenue stream we can look at that generates for us about $450,000 a year. Hmm. So that's a good, good revenue stream for us. And, and look, for the past 20 years, our previous councils have been very good stewards and fiduciaries of our money. We have about $40 million uh, cash. Wow. Like in in like a rainy day fund? We have – we try to keep two years budget in our general fund. Just in case the sky falls? Yeah, and then we have the the, um, VML municipal bonds and stuff that we're Mm -hmm. participating in. And we have not uh, yielded very good returns. In fact, we're down about a half million dollars. Uh, in those over the past 18 months. So hopefully that bond market will improve where we can recoup some of that money. But we've we've been in a very good financial shape. What a well-run town. Unfortunately. Except for burning things. But unfortunately, that's not the only benchmark for a well-run town. And your comment that you just made, although it's very true, that's not the only benchmark for a well-run town. What is then? Fiscal responsibility seems to be the well, absolutely. But don't you have to have leadership that gets along with the citizens? Oh, I forgot. Don't you have to have leadership that gets along with the local businesses? Don't you have to have leadership that's honest and truthful and transparent? I don't know. I mean, look, if there was an a hole, but he kept my taxes low and my place safe, and and prosperity, I guess I'd take him, even if him or her, even if they were an a hole. But you're right. I mean, in today's uh, political marketplace, you have to have transparency you have to have integrity um, but you have to be responsible and there are a lot of places in virginia uh, cities and towns who are not run as prudently as i just heard you're running sure that town. so that's sure. a great thing I, let me say something that and i'm not involved directly with city government in Emporia, but one of the things 
And I'm interested to hear Bill's feedback from his area and his part of Virginia as well. But one of the things that would you I like question, a chocolate? <laughs> it's one of the things, one of the things that <laughs> I question all the time. There you go, buddy. Is you know you mentioned sales tax, food tax. Uh, lodging tax, all those things. You better make this a long question because he just stuffed a good dive of chocolate in his mouth. Um, my, I have a concern in Emporia that my business, as, as it relates to restaurants, is one of the few that's paying my fair share of food tax. And the reason I say that is we have a lot of other restaurants, mom and pop places, and even convenience stores in different places that run with these old-style, diner-style cash registers. The old cash system. That doesn't keep good records on how much sales, you know. And so with us, we have point-of-sale POS systems in all of our places, and we our records are too good. You know, so the the treasurer, the city treasurer. They love you. They, you know, they're always making sure we get our money in on time. Yeah. And I'm always like, how about this person, this person, that person? They don't really have a mechanism to check behind or or because now it, nor the staff. So if 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 a small restaurant in town is collecting food tax and those kind of things, if they're collecting it but not paying it, and there's no way to really audit them. Do, do, do y'all have any concerns about stuff like that in Southfield as far as making sure you're getting all the revenue you're supposed to get? Well, I'll tell you one thing that, that I question a little bit being a small business owner and, and somewhat trying to be a champion in South Hill for local businesses. And, Bill, maybe you can answer this. I don't understand why food trucks don't have to go through the same licensing uh, as a brick-and-mortar restaurant. And I guess that's a state code. Yep. I wonder what the thought was. And look, I have nothing against food trucks. I support Obviously. them. <laughs> I, I support them. That is clear. You know, I, I'm glad for the food trucks in South Hill. Yes, you are. That's not. <laughs> can you name them all? I bet you can. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, what is the, why should they not have to have the same licensing as a brick and mortar business? You know, look, um, I don't know. And I look, didn't know that, but you know, I was and thinking if they maybe, choose, hang on, if they choose to go to four different localities on a route, you know, during the week, one day here, one day there, so forth, then they should have four business licenses. That's just my opinion. Spoken I think like it's, a true councilman. It's only fair for for costs. It's a, it's thirty, but it's you know, it's not enough. To me, it's about fairness, not about the revenue. If Hermie at Fosho has to go through ABC hoops and make the investment and make the commitment to his community, why should a food truck not have to do the same thing? And a lot of times the food trucks, much like these casinos, they're out of community so, business. So you're saying that, that are coming in. Food truck has an exemption? Yes. Because it moves around? I'm asking you. You're no, I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, I don't know everything. Well, research that a little bit. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll get truck. right on that and put it on the list of the other things you want me to find out about our government. <laughs> I, he calls me like in a taxi. Hey, did you get that answer from VML? I'm like, I'm working on it, man. Calm down. And now I got a new one, which Wait is a, a tax and revenue thing Wait for a food trucks. What did you tell me about VML? 
I'm going to have them in my office tomorrow. And I I'm did. Gonna call you tomorrow. I had them in my office. And they all kind of looked at each other and went, so we I, I don't think... Well, on Eastern Stanley time, once again. But, but I can't really talk about what you asked me, so... No, you can't. So they all said, I don't know, I guess. We'll find out. I said, okay, get back to me. But, you know... But I think that's now. Don't look at me, look at him. If yeah. You're at, if you're mad at him, don't look at me. No, I'm not mad at him. I was just checking out how cold you were. You're taking your, your hands out of the pocket, so maybe it's getting a little sure. warmer. But, Hermie, you're right, and it's really no... There's no way to, to check that, to validate their, their figures. It really isn't. I guess you could do a complete audit and compare purchases and whatever the average. If you got, y'all have people inside the field, like we have in Emporia, that just deal strictly with cash. They oh, pay absolutely. their employees in cash. They they buy their food wholesale cash. They collect you know cash. And like I mean, I've been into the places myself. Sure. And if I pay cash, it's a cash transaction. Sometimes they don't even ring it through the cash register. They just take the cash, give me the change. Put it in the drawer. If I do a, a credit card, you know, then they go through, ring the whole thing up. Then it's a whole other thing. So I'm just curious. That is one thing that I've always wondered in small locales like we live in that, you know, really looking for, always looking for other ways to generate revenue. And I've always thought, you know, if you just, if you get people to pay and you collect what you're supposed to be collecting, that would take some of the pressure off the, you know, hmm. some of the big generators in the tank. I even thought one time about the possibility of trying to figure out if there was a way, almost like they did with skill games, and that's make the food vendors like the U.S. Foods and Cisco and all make those them type, pay. make them pay based on purchases. The 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 tax based on you know that way collect it from them rather than relying on the retail business to do it. So that may be something down the road we look at. Hmm. And build another question. I'm learning something every Let day. Let me give you another something question. New. Because I don't here, know here we go again. Another request for me to go find you information no. or just a question. Does the state provide funding to localities for volunteer fire departments? Yes. Walk me through that. I believe it's a part of the uh, a of the emergency management budget. And so we, we in the general assembly block money. Then we give it to a department and they spend it. I was trying to get a scuba team, some money in a volunteer fire department. And I remember specifically, I think that the, the money's given out in grants, I think from state grants. Gotcha. Well, I think that's something that needs, but they have to apply for them. I think, well, I think on the state level, I would certainly encourage you to, Look into those programs. I don't think it's enough money there. Um, well, and they're know. most important because if you think of our rural areas, volunteer fire departments and rescue squads of my of my son was on sure. one for a long time. He's a paramedic. Um, they run on shoestring budgets, and they're the only thing we have. And well, sometimes they've got to drive 20, 30 minutes to go get you. And if you go into the hospital, it's another maybe hour to get you to the hospital. Well, the funny you thing. Because we've got Roanoke and Martinsville. But, you know, it's not like we got a hospital every 16 blocks like they do in Fairfax. Right. Well, you know, the municipalities are required to either provide or contract out fire protection. Not EMS, but fire. Hmm. So if the Commonwealth is going to require us to provide fire protection, then I think the Commonwealth needs to look at those funding mechanisms and the amount of money that's there. You know, the fire departments are dealing with all kinds of restrictions on the apparatus and uh, the lifespan of the apparatus. They can only use them 20 years. They can get them refurbished with a 15-year extension. But, you know, that puts a lot of extra 
pressure on these municipalities, especially smaller towns. Mm-hmm. And then okay. what we're experiencing in South Hill when we're having some positive growth like we are, especially with Microsoft, the demand that's putting on the fire service because of the extra load is almost becoming overwhelming. Okay, I'm, so maybe I'm making a list some, here, some there, Chef. Champion there. Well, you know, you got to first you find the problem, then you find the solution, then you got to convince 139 other people, or at least a majority of them. You can do that. <laughs> You're Bill Stanley. Only when I have beagles in my arms. Uh, otherwise, well, this sense, is though? not the year for me. I don't think we're going to talk about some of my bills here in a minute. But, but um, does it make know, sense? Just, uh, people are, you know, just not feeling it this year. You know, and I think we're the backstop of all backstops. In those, you know, when they may have to be reviewed for a fiscal impact in those committees, well, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, might have pissed some people off, which I'm sorry about, but, you know, I'm just doing my job. So we'll see. But um, you were talking about, you know, a bill that you wanted to talk about, the school game bill. Yeah, you know, so I've been watching as much as I can all of the doings and goings on in the General Assembly. But I I will have to say that last week I was – surprised pleasantly surprised and interested to to hear that delegate kilgore had proposed legislation that would basically put skill game legislation back to where it was prior to sb 971 being signed by ralph northern which is the one that you and i filed a lawsuit on and that not, not only put the tax and the regulation in the revenue stream back to the Commonwealth of Virginia, but put ABC back in charge of enforcement to clean up all the illegal. So I was surprised to see that. So my question is, were you surprised to see that as well? And what have you hearing? What are you hearing, if anything, about the chances of that legislation getting any traction? Well, yeah, I was surprised because, you know, Terry Kilgore has been a big supporter of casino, but he also is a reasonable, rational man, and he's the majority leader in the House of Delegates. Comes from southwest Virginia. I've been here a while. Um, you know, uh, Todd Gilbert's a great speaker, but I think if it wasn't Todd Gilbert, it would have been him uh, as speaker. Uh, he makes good relationships around here. And and I think when he looked at it, he, he sees the force for the trees, Hermie. SB 971, we've talked about it before, but for the first time, listeners, in a nutshell, when it banned skill games, it brought in the riffraff. It brought in all the illegal gaming. Just opened the door. Because it took away oversight. Yeah. And he understands that part of the protection of the casinos themselves, like the ones in Bristol, is getting rid of the illegal gaming. Mm -hmm. Not the legal gaming that we've demonstrated is legal constitutionally protected gaming, but the illegal gaming and that there is a there's space in the marketplace for the small mom and pops, the the Virginia small business owners to have a limited number of skill games. So and, and that it won't take away from casino revenues and it won't step on casino toes. But. As we've talked about before, 70-some-odd um, uh, lobbyists working for casinos. I mean, they blanketed the place. It's about control. It's about domination. That's pretty clear. Uh, I think he he's getting a lot of heat from those on that side, uh, which is unnecessary and unwarranted. And then I think, you know, we have some people in the General Assembly who we may have mentioned before, but I'm not going to say their names now, that are just totally against it, and they don't see the forest for the trees. What they don't see is that we're losing $250 million a year in revenue to the state if we have these limited skill games in place. They're missing that while they continue to be 
so focused on skill games and trying to ban skill, skill games and thinking that our decision in our court case is wrong uh, that they don't realize that in in doing so, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face because what they're doing is they're allowing the illegals to proliferate. They're allowing the illegals to not collect tax revenue. They're allowing the illegals to go into criminal elements and and, and their games of chance. And these those things are direct threats to casinos. And they're not and they're allowing because we have the injunction, they're allowing these skill games, the legitimate skill games, to continue to operate, and they're not collecting the tax on that either. And it seems like we're just missing the boat. And it's it's kind of like they've thrown such a temper tantrum, they can't accept what a court has ruled twice in the Circuit Court of Greensville and once in the Supreme Court of Virginia when it comes to these legitimate skill games. And they'll just do anything. They, they will do nothing rather than maybe approach and look at, uh, in a good way, Kilgore's bill. So I don't have a lot of hope for it. I was going to say, it really puts it right It puts it right back to where it was before 971. Mm -hmm. Limits the number. Limits the number in, uh, in truck stops, restaurants, bars. Uh, so it's not an inundation. Keeps the same number of skill games that we're in. It's around 6,000, I think. Mm -hmm. Puts the same kind of limitations there are. Doesn't do the, and does the tax... And regulate that that the ABC was so good at. It's very straightforward. We we've, we've been there before. Would you be problems. happy with that bill if it were to pass? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's a it's a foundation um, that can be made better later. But we stop the nonsense of going back and forth and not collecting tax revenue, keeping illegal gaming there, and not regulating these machines. It hurts me because as a lawyer, I stop getting paid. Thank you, Hermie. And uh, but but ultimately, I want what's best and this would moot the lawsuit right. the lawsuit would be dismissed if this bill would pass and i'm telling you the problem i see hermy is it's not even going to get to the floor of the house it'll be killed in committee which means because a small number of people will vote on it because one or two people have dictated that that's how it's supposed to go mm -hmm. and so if you drop that bill i think straight down into the general assembly straight into the house of delegates i believe you'd have a majority over 50 who would vote for it if you dropped it in the Senate, I believe you'd have 21. I really do. But there are certain people in leadership positions that are going to prevent that from ever happening. The governor has openly stated, I support this. I want a level playing field. He's asked for the bill. He wants the bill to come out. He wants to start formulating how we can best use the revenues that mm -hmm. are generated from it and how we can get rid of illegal gaming. He wants the illegals gone. He wants the criminal. You would think gone. we could all agree on that. Well, you'd also think that maybe... He's a Republican, so Republicans would say, hey, Gov, I understand. And some of those Republicans are going to need his support and coming out to fundraisers and helping raise money. You know, I was... You'd think they'd just go, okay, but, but you know, I have a feeling they're going to stand up to him. Well, and I wouldn't call it standing up to him. They're going to so much defy defiance. him. <laughs> his defiance. That's exactly the word, Chip. And, and that's unfortunate. And here we go again. So we'll probably have the court case in the spring. But it's stupid. I went to Suffolk. Stupid. It's a stupid, dumb position. Makes no sense. There's nothing, Hermie, that you can justify their position. I mean, I just went through the whole thing, the litany of, of what it does by being stubborn. Mm -hmm. It's being stubborn and being wedded to the casino model and not being open to Virginia small businesses participating in the merging marketplace. I, tell me an upside. Tell me an upside from their strategy. Give me a legit, legitimate reason, and it's so we can eliminate all skill games. We well, can't. Yeah. 
So that's not going to happen. They just want they want it all. Well, it's all, uh, they want to control everything. I promised somebody. You know, how about I mean, the? I uh, promised the casinos you'd be the only game in town. I was in Suffolk Thursday night. Went and spoke at the Suffolk GOP committee. Right. After I spoke, when the meeting was over, this gentleman came over to the side and we started having a conversation. And he was inquiring about the lawsuit and my position. And I went through explaining to him that, you know, we're talking about skill gains, but really my interest is fair government and level playing field, free market system, all these things. But this guy was a huge race fan. So we talked about racing and this, that, and the other. And I said, look, I know for people that are not living this every day on the skill game thing or the government overreach part may not get it. I said, but you're a big race fan. So let me put it to you like this. I said, what if Dodge decided they were going to get back into NASCAR? And they put their teams together, did all this stuff, and would get ready to come back into the sport of NASCAR. But prior to their entry back into NASCAR, they went to NASCAR and used all their money, power, and influence to get Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota banned from the sport before they came in. So then you show up to a NASCAR race and it's just Dodge. Hmm. Chevrolet's gone. Ford's gone. Toyota's gone. And I said, look at it that way. I said, is that the way it's supposed to work? See, I said, no, they shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't let, they shouldn't, if they're going to compete on the track, they shouldn't dictate who all gets to play. I said, exactly. Ah, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing as what the casinos are trying to do to small business. They want to come in, wipe everybody else out, create their own policy that they're governed by all at the same time. And I said, it's the same thing. I said, they're not even saying Ford. Chevy and Toyota, their cars have to be 500 pounds heavier than Dodge. They're saying, y'all out race. completely. So show up at the Daytona 500, and you got 43 Dodges on the track. Yeah. So that's not how the free market works, and that's not how you know fair government and equal opportunity is supposed to be. It's NASCAR's job to make sure the rules are fair and there's a level playing field for all the manufacturers to have a chance to win the Daytona 500. You would think it would be the job of the General Assembly and the people in the House of Delegates and the Senate, especially the leadership, to provide a level playing field so that everybody has an equal opportunity to compete. But our leaders in certain places are not doing that. And that's the whole frustrating part that I think a lot of people are not getting. It's the minority, too. Yeah. It's the minority. You know, I kind of always say politics is like a food triangle, you know, like a regular triangle. And the, the higher and the longer you've been, the more you're at the point, the tip of the spear, the more you can actually direct traffic on what happens below at the bottom of the triangle. And so not as good an, an analogy as, as Hermie just had there, but... But very few can can decide what is heard, what is discussed, debated, and voted on for the masses of the other members of the General Assembly in the Senate and the House. And so um, it's not that Virginia's legislature has taken a position of 
we're just going to keep fighting this lawsuit and we're just going to keep tying it up in the court system and having the court tell us and not solve the problem, not collect the tax revenue, not regulate it uh, fairly, not get rid of the illegal gaming. I mean, that's just not Virginia's policy. It seems to be the policy of a couple. Mm -hmm. I mean, a handful. I mean, I could count them probably all in one hand. And, the, and then the rest, that leaves, you know, you've got 140 people there. That's 135 people that were pro would probably be open to debate. Some might like it, some might not. But I think you would derive a, a majority which will allow this whole thing to be over. And instead it drags on. But, you know, I told somebody, I said, if they're pissed off at me, just tell them if they really want to piss me off, uh, moot my suit so I can't make any more money as a lawyer. You know, do that. Which, and that's another I mean, if you want to have some spite, you know. And that's another part me. that, on the outside looking in, irritates me. I hate the position that you're in in some ways, as not only as my attorney but as a friend, is because not all, but some of these legislators over here also have jobs that they do, and you are when you leave here on the weekends or when you leave in you know it. When session's over that particular day or whatever, regular session, you go back to your condo slash, you know, wherever your office here in Richmond, and you work on stuff on behalf of your clients. Mm -hmm. You're working on, for me, as one of your clients, fighting what we have proven to be an unconstitutional law. Two of them. That was passed. Two of them. But yet, there are people in within the halls of the Capitol, instead of saying – Congratulations on standing up for the Constitution and the rights of people and small businesses. They're mad at you for doing your job as an attorney. Yeah. 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 Can you believe it? Oh, well, yeah, I, mean, I can. But I, it's just unfortunate. Uh, someone came up to me and said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I said, isn't the best part of democracy is when the government drafts and passed uh, an unconstitutional law as it applies to its citizens that someone stands up and challenges it, even if they don't win? Isn't that, that that part of being able to 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 seek redress from the government of your grievances? Isn't that what is America is all about? And they just don't see it that way because they they are going to write any bill. And if they write this skill game bill and think it should not be appealed, you cannot appeal it. And instead, no one appeals it and people would be getting arrested over and over again on an unconstitutional law. How is that good government or good for the people in the same way uh, that you think and presume that every law I ever pass is constitutional and doesn't hurt anybody. Or every law I pass is based on what I need to do for a certain sector or interest, you know, private interest, uh, to move the ball down the field for them. I mean, what kind of government is that? We created the system of government so it could be challenged. That's the whole point. Otherwise, why do we have a Supreme Court of the United States? I mean, they, they, they listen to challenges to laws that are passed by the federal government or state laws interpreted in a federal conflict and determine constitutionality all the time. I mean, people are heralded for that. But me, how dare I do this? Casinos, how dare you do this? Certain legislators, how dare you do this? How dare you challenge our authority and what we think is right? So, you know, I'll live with it, man. I can sleep at night. I know I'm doing the right things. And I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I don't know what the heck's going on up, uh, up back behind us in this big white building called the Capitol because it defies gravity and common sense. So we will just let it go as it is. We're going to win this case. I guess they're thinking, you know, just think about it this way. 
Casino's position is we're going to just win the case somehow. Okay, they lose in the circuit court. Then there's an appellate process because we've changed the appellate process first in the Court of Appeals and then in the Supreme Court. That's going to go on for years. So what do we do then? Do we still sit on the sideline? We had one of the people who's on a committee that will consider the Kilgore bill on the House side say, hey, we're not going to take this up. Told the lobbyist, we're not going to take this bill up. And the lobbyist said, why? He said, because it's ongoing litigation. And the lobbyist laughed in their face and said, you really weren't thinking about that when you passed the budget amendment or put that budget amendment in the bill and passed the budget trying to eliminate them. It's hypocritical. That's what's going on. So I just shake my head. I mean, it's a facepalm moment. I don't understand what the heck is the motivator. And, and, and you only have to come to one conclusion. Casinos. They're the only ones that benefit from this somehow. And they don't even benefit from this. But their benefit is the long game of domination and elimination and monopolization. That's their way. That's their business model. That's how they do it. And they're willing to play the long game. My, my problem is, is that once you let a, any kind of industry control the General Assembly or push it around, or even push a locality around, like a town, or like they might do in Danville or Bristol, once they dominate, it's over. Then that is the entity that is actually bigger than the people's government. It's over. Bothers me. We should never let it get to that. I mean, that was, you know, we were talking last week about Glenn Youngkin. Uh, Turning away the Chinese company that was building lithium batteries was in initial negotiations with CATL, which is Ford was the shell. It was Chinese technology, Chinese company owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Youngkin says, we don't want that in our Commonwealth. Democrats' hairs were on fire. What? You don't like jobs. You don't like Southside. These are people like from Richmond and Virginia Beach have never been to Southside. And Youngkin said, I'm not going to put our safety and security at risk. So that's a judgment call because the threat is that Chinese company comes into to Pennsylvania County, 2,500 jobs, has all 2,500 families dependent on them. They control a segment of the community. They control, again, that local government with tax revenues. You have to tail wagging the dog. Exactly. So when you cede that power and authority of the people to industries, you never get it back. You know, last week we had a great Virginian on in Senator Bryce Reeves, and yes. he was talking about a Virginia Gaming Commission. Mm-hmm. Has that gone anywhere? I don't think it's come up yet. Okay. But, you know, they just kind of put this one together. So we're still in the infancy. This week's going to be bill rage. A lot of bills got to fly through the committee because we go to crossover uh, February 4th, 5th. That's coming up soon, right? 4th or 5th? 7th. From our guests that are waiting in the green room. So <laughs> look at me. Crossover is the seventh. I wish it was the fifth. Y'all put those scarves and hats on. It's a little chilly in there. <laughs> well, John Lee just sent me a damn text and he said, uh, hold on, I got to read it. It's kind of funny. Damn, you could butcher a hog in here and leave it in here for weeks. <laughs> but uh, but that's, you know, that's part of the lunacy. Hey, what yeah. other, uh, I know we got guests and I want to get yep. to them as well. What other, Tell us about your bills and what you've got that's most important on your radar as far as legislation that you're uh, introducing. Okay. And so first, let's let's talk about what a wonderful week it was for Democrats in the Senate. 
So this is what they killed. McDougal's bill that wanted stiffer penalties for those people that sell fentanyl, and especially cut it into killed. drugs that kill people, they killed that. They opposed the full elimination and killed a bill that would have fully eliminated the grocery tax. You know, we reduced it under Yunkin's first year. This was a full elimination bill, killed it in committee. They voted down bills that would have gotten us off a of Reggie. So in effect, what the Democrats in the Senate did was they voted to let California write our environmental laws. Perfect. So now we're stuck with that. We were talking about that yeah, last even last week. week. They brought they blocked all common sense voter ID legislation. That's great. And they voted not to even validate human life. And they're just getting going, bud, because you know what Monday is there, Herm? Hermie, hopefully you will know this uh, next year because you'll be sitting in the floor of the Senate. Monday is gun bill day, which all the common sense, Second Amendment protective bills that come through, always usually proposed by Republicans, will get killed. And then we'll see some really liberal, wacky, way out there uh, gun control laws that will pass out of Senate courts tomorrow. We start bright and early at 8 o'clock. It's always packed. We always have people yelling at us. I've been yelled at by one guy. I don't want to say his name, but he's kind of a public figure. Um, he seems to have it out for me. I don't know why, but I don't care. Uh, and then it's pretty crazy. And so we really see the divide in the in the General Assembly, at least in the Senate. And uh, and so those gun bills that are reasonable, Second Amendment protective gun bills, will pass in the House, and then they'll come over and they'll kill them in the Senate. Well, Bill, this is why... But it's a wacky day, man. i got a lot of homework tonight. We've got to stress this to our listeners. Whether they live in the 17th or not is irrelevant. If they know a friend that lives there. If the only people listening to this live in the 17th, we're screwed. If they know. (laughs) We better have more. If they have a friend, a relative, a business uh, acquaintance, anybody that lives in that 17th district, we've got to have their help to get Hermie elected. Oh, yeah. Because... Y'all can't get a damn thing done well, over well, here. We well, have got to have people like Hermie over here in the Senate fighting for the Commonwealth and the citizens and the Virginians of this state. The leaning right and turning left with Sadler in the Senate does not endorse any particular candidate or candidate's committee. Paid for and authorized by leaning, <laughs> leaning right and turning left with Sadler in the Senate. Uh, yo, look, what it does bring it's gotta happen. is you've got to switch those houses. And I think we talked to you, and that's probably about 18 that you could say they're going Republican. So you got to get to 20. So you need three to get to 21. If you got 20, Winsome Sears, at least for two years, she's a lieutenant governor, breaks the ties, Republicans are in command. So that makes two seats really important at, at a minimum. And when you look down the chart in terms of Republican uh, leans, Republican or leans Democrat, the 17th is a very competitive, uh, but leans Democrat. Senate seat. You've got to have somebody who's going to be a strong conservative but also get crossover votes. And I hope the citizens of the 17th determine who that is in their primary, at least in the Republican sense. And then when it's Cliff Jenkins versus Republican candidate in November, because it's important. Glenn Youngkin has a good agenda and we need to get it passed. But what you're seeing is a lot of wackadoodle bills that are coming out of the Senate that nobody, no American likes. But they think they have to be more liberal every single year, and they become more liberal every single year, and this is what you get. And then they try to out-liberal each other, and it just becomes a wacky mess. It's a double whammy. has to cut it down. A double whammy for me because I keep up with and follow everything that the Democrats are doing and the liberals are doing, in my view, to hurt the Commonwealth as far as 
the legislation that they're promoting and or killing. But all of them that are on social media and all their interviews that they do and all that, they're also very, very, very divisive. Yes. And all of their, the way they say things and how they bring things up. And, you know, so they have no willingness to, 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 to talk, to, to, you know, try to find anywhere that, that there's common ground, but they, 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 they have their message and what they hold to, but they, they, they also do everything in their power to try to put people at odds with each other. And once you get people arguing and get that volatility up, it makes it even less likely that anything can be done. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like uh, we've said it before, Washington DC spilling over across here to the James, the James river. And, um, and it seems like right now, every single member wants to get on TV back in their district. So they say the wackiest thing they possibly can say. Um, I don't have that kind of uh, desire. I usually don't file partisan, partisan bills. I file bills that are going to make a difference in Southside or, or good for all of Virginia. Uh, but I, you know, I co-patron and I vote for you know life. I'm going to vote for sure. every Second Amendment uh, protection bill that there is. Um, but you know, hopefully. You look and say, I can sit there and read the paper and see, okay, let me. what's the most conservative bill that people are going to like that, even though we'll get crushed in the Senate, I get to go back home and say, man, I had this bill, and they crushed it in the committee. Uh, that doesn't get anything done, in my mind, because they didn't hire us to just do that, look at the paper and see what could get us more uh, media publicity. Yeah, headline bills. We need to get stuff that changes. And, and Hermie, you were talking about what some of the bills are, and we're going to talk about one of those bills here after the break, too, but... Uh, I filed a bill. I had some students that I've been following for years uh, who have robotics uh, teams in Chesterfield and Henrico County. And they came to me this summer. Uh, This is a a bill. I think it's Senate Bill 888. I'm sorry. 806. I didn't have my glasses on. It's Senate Bill 806. They came to me and I had done a one-off scholarship for helping those in lower class, lower uh, rural areas, inner cities with not as much affluence, those schools to get grants from the state to start a, a robotics team for the high school because robotics is important. I mean, you're talking about the tech talent pipeline, teaching kids these things. You know, I've even said speeches in robotics, man, uh, you can actually be on the robotics team in high school and every single one has the potential of going pro where everybody played on the baseball team doesn't have right. that potential. And it really makes a difference. So they came to me. These are kids from affluent areas that have big, giant robotics teams. And they said, uh, Senator Stanley, would you consider putting a bill together to make this permanent and to create it to where we could measure success and and also make sure that kids who were at schools with 60% free or reduced lunch got at least $10,000 a year to support the robotics uh, for the building of the robot and the travel expenses so they wouldn't otherwise have the ability to do it because the parents can't pay for it and schools don't support it necessarily. And I said it would, but that they had to write the bill, lobby the bill, uh, send emails and present the bill. And so that just went through uh, Ed and health uh, at the end of last week. And, and I got a little emotional. These kids came up and really knocked it out of the park and they've been lobbying, calling senators, making visits to house of delegate members, uh, leaving things in their email cool. boxes, leaving calls. They're getting all their students involved. So it's been a really cool bill. That's one of those that, and it has a $200,000 price tag. So it has to go to finance, Hermie. Senate finance. 
Yeah, I think I know what that means. Uh-huh. There's a chairman there that loves beagles. So uh, I hope uh, that that will be looked upon favorably. But then, you know, I tried to keep it light this year. Usually I put in 30 bills. This year I put in 11. Just because I'm, you know. You've been busy. Well, I mean, I've, I've passed over, I've written over 130 pieces of legislation that became law since I started in 2011. So I really wanted to make sure I was doing something here that was was trying to make a difference. So uh, other things like we've got, I've got two bills that try to reform the Virginia Employment Commission. Do you know that $14 billion was given out during the pandemic to, as unemployment benefits? Do you know how much was stolen using uh, fraudulent ID? Take a guess. I'm going to say half. No, actually it's less. It's a billion dollars. I mean- but still, there's a billion dollars of taxpayer money that criminals got. A hundred, a hundred well, million dollars. Uh, one dollar is too much, right? But we're talking about, uh, but fra- use of fraudulent ideas. One, one billion dollars. So, so are these people laws. in jail? No, we, we can't find. You know, we're, we don't have the tools to find them. So we're. I have two bills that are going to empower the Virginia uh, Employment Commissioner to send out subpoenas to get bank records to find out where this money went and try to track down the criminals and either get the money back or prosecute or both. And so I've tried to streamline it. It's been a big problem. They've never lost a billion dollars to fraud, waste, and abuse, and that's pretty bad. Now, we're going to talk about Senate Bill 1029 when we come back. Um, but we, I have bills like for the school modernization to set standards of what is a modern school, what the schools should be developing in terms of setting aside money to renovate and modernize their schools. Uh, we have uh, uh, making sure that animal testing facilities don't harm the, the, the animals uh, don't commit heinous acts of abuse to these animals while they're testing them. Uh, and then I've got uh, civil liability, and I think this is really important. I saw this thing where 40% of children 12 years old, by the time they reach 12, have been exposed to pornography on the Internet. Because, you know, Pornhub and all these other things uh, don't have, don't verify age. And so I've not written a bill. With those. You're not? No. <laughs> You're <laughs> That's good. That's really good, Councilman. Me neither. But I hear that you have, you know, you can go on these websites and I guess see pornography and they don't check anybody's kid's age. So we're exposing our children on the internet to some harmful things and sometimes harmful people. This shouldn't be one of those. They should be policing and making sure that no one under the age of 18 is exposed to pornography because it does have an adverse effect. Uh, so now those are the kind of bills that I'm running How are you going to force that? How are they going to validate the the age? So I saw down in Louisiana, actually, Louisiana put together a comprehensive package, and I kind of copied it. I mean, I, I used it as a, a serious reference guide. And Louisiana said, no one under the age of 18 can come into these websites, and you have to have a verification process. And what is that? And so I haven't seen what it is, but it, uh, I talked to somebody down there in Louisiana. They say it works, that the these porn internet sites put it up, especially only in Louisiana. They don't put it up nationwide, which they should have. And so it's stopping kids in Louisiana from accessing pornography on the Internet. But my so I'm going to try is, to do it here in Virginia. My I think question it's really is, important. I wonder what it is. I mean, ultimately, it's going to say, I'm 18 years old, I'm over 18, click this box, and you're in. Here, Shep, uh, we're going to do a leaning right and turning left uh, experiment. Uh, we're going to have you go undercover. We're going to have you go undercover to these porn sites that you've never been to. And we're going to see if you can he like get the into the ones in Louisiana. Stuff. He doesn't okay? like questions. And you'll something. find out what the filter is. I, it's got to be some filter. I don't know. But there's, you know, there are ways to validate and verify your identification online. 
So whatever it's doing, it's working in Louisiana. We need it here in Virginia. That's another one of my bills. So keeping it kind of light this year, but co-patron and chief co-patron, a lot of bills uh, for Second Amendment and life bills, uh, a lot of a lot of other bills. One of my favorite bills is actually creating a portal. I did this in a bill years ago for our industrial sites where, you know, green open spaces. You know, you, Shep, have one of these issues where they want to turn a lot of our green open spaces into solar farms. Correct. I want people that are selling green open spaces for development, and they want to develop these into houses and good neighborhoods and maybe even commercial development, you know, not industrial commercial, but neighborhood commercial, you know, town-centered kind of stuff. We're going to create a website that allows those people who have those land those lands for sale to market it to say developers in Northern Virginia because they're all running out of things to do. Sure, they're running out of land, and have them you know try to create some some regional business partnerships between Northern Virginia builders or Richmond builders, good quality builders who come down the South Side like our area. We're having a housing crisis, and invest in neighborhoods and and uh, residential dwellings. So. I think that's a good way of kind of putting business together with local governments. It'll be run by the local governments. You have to either own the land or, or the private owner has to approve. So it's kind of creating those relationships I think will be good for towns like yours. That's another one of my bills, and that's pretty much yeah, all If I, I keep asking him questions, he's going to be a man's a today. So I, don't, I don't think I'm going to ask him any more questions. Wow. Okay. All right. Fine. Maybe it's Sunday. I don't know. So No, it is Sunday, and so I got a lot of homework. So, you know, let's get this moving, guys. And uh Anything else in this first segment you want to bring no, up? No, we, we got we got guests that we want to get on. See, once again, you have to understand, we we talk about two minutes before we go on the air and say, hey, what do you want to talk about? Because I think it's always better. And then Shep always you know, admonishes me on not being prepared. But I thought we did okay, Shep. And we got through it. And he had a chocolate, too. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going we're gonna to step aside here just for a second for our sponsors uh, so they can give you a word or two. What are we doing about bills. Manscaped this week? Are they on the show and this week? And then we'll come back and we'll determine whether we're on Manscaped. I think it's next week. So this week we're off on Manscaped, mm-hmm. but you're still loving that product. You're, you're uh, shaggy. Your little uh, soul patch, you called it? Soul patch, yeah. Yes. Looking sharp. I know. Looks really, I mean, it, it looks better than it I just has. I like the way he wears his... Headphones to not mess up it that high. <laughs> he pulls them Did back. So that? Pulls them off to the back. Yeah. Did you notice that? Because he's got that gel, that spiky gel going. Yeah. Shep, you are a work to behold. I tell you what, you are a. Hun- I could teach you some stuff. You are a hunky piece of man candy. You're right. I, don't <laughs> I mean, that's can why we, I don't even look at you, Hermie. I just I, I, threw, I just up, at him. threw up a little bit. <laughs> can, can we please get to a break? All right, we'll be back. And and just you know, even if it's not wake man, one of our sponsors, Manscape.com. Go on that, get twenty percent off when you put in promo code Sh- uh, Sadler at checkout. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, 
Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Saddle Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Saddle Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11D off I-95. And Saddle Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm leaning right. Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, and Shep Miles is fattening up. <laughs> I'm glad y'all love to do that so much. Left, right, and up. I You're like how you up. have to read the uh, sign every time. It's less and less. Go. It's more of like a blue blanket, just to make sure I don't screw it A whoopee. Yeah, because I have said it the wrong way, which is I'm leaning left and turning right, which you know doesn't make sense, because I'm the leaning right because I'm the conservative. He's the turning left because he's the NASCAR driver. I, I know what it means. Look, you we, act we like you're the that, one that doesn't know. We came up with that. Uh, we came up with that name in one drinking session, right? We did a lot in that one drinking <laughs> session. We've solved the world's problems. But to, right now, we've got a special guest with us. Special guests with us. Uh, we've we told you about them earlier. I think it's a really important issue we can talk about. That's important to Virginia and what we're doing uh, moving forward in Virginia as we enter the digital age. Uh, Hermes clicking his pen, but we have with us. The CEO of Mecklenburg Electric, which is a cooperative, an electric cooperative here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, John C. Lee Jr. And just a little background from his own Wikipedia page, which I know he wrote himself. He uh, he's began his career at Mecklenburg Electric Cooperative on January first, two thousand and eight. Is that true, John Lee? Uh, that sounds correct. Okay, you're a graduate of Mississippi State University. Go Bulldogs! With a bullshit degree, I mean BS degree in business. Honors graduate. What what year did you graduate? Eighteen ninety six or honors graduate? He got the gold, the gold oh, ropes yeah. and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was he was in the probably, BS is what I'm. Yeah, the, he's probably the biggest nerd there. I bet. Um, so, John Lee, welcome. You're my friend, but you've you've been a great educator. And what is important in in our co op industry here in the Commonwealth? Why it's so important to us? And we also have his little sidekick, his little buddy. His little buddy, Andrew V. Horn, who is a hobbyist. 
God, I can't hardly even say that. He's a what? Hobbyist. Oh, yeah. You're a lobbyist, aren't you? Lobbyist with an L, not hobbyist. Oh, hobbyist. I sound like <laughs> it Tom Brokaw. didn't say that oh, on his resume, Bill. I don't, I don't know. So welcome, Andrew Vihorn. Bill, thanks for having us. All right, Andrew, let's start with you just a little bit because we're, you know John Lee's going to dominate this conversation pretty quickly. Um, how long have you been working with the co-ops? Um, Almost 10 years. And what do you do? So we represent uh, the 13 electric co-ops in Virginia before the General Assembly. Uh, we do public affairs work in D.C., support uh, our National Association on National Energy Policy. And we also have a co-op in Maryland and Delaware that we work with. Okay. So my first question as it relates to legislators and the prick factor, we had a Senator Stanley rate on that. <laughs> yeah, no better. No, wait, wait, no wait, wait. Now, what's the scale? One is low. out of ten. Eleven point five out of ten. Like one is like really laid back, humble, nice guy, nice guy, welcoming that, and then ten would be the opposite of that. It depends on uh, if you're on the side of the Beagles or in Vigo. <laughs> there you go. Kind of like a U.S. Marine of senators, no better friend and no worst enemy. That's right. Uh, I've known Andrew for quite a long time in, in politics also. I think we were on State Central together. We were indeed. And the Republican Party has a Congress of sorts, a really kind of dysfunctional <laughs> but fun Congress to go to called the, the State Central Committee. And what were you representing at the time? Uh, I represented the college Republicans and then the young Republicans, I think, when you were 5th District 5th District Chairman of the Congressional District. That puts you on as a seat on State Central. So, yeah. And you were a younger man then, so Much was I. Thinner, younger. Yeah, yes. Well, I got the same problem. Don't getting, talk about thinner. I'm getting back to the weight that I was when I was on State Central. You guys are going in the wrong direction. So, tell us, you know, the listener, what is a lobbyist here in the Commonwealth of Virginia? What, what do you do? Uh, and not just specifically what you do, but, you know, what does a lobbyist generally do when we're in session or when we're not in session? I know when we're not in session, you're going to golf tournaments and cocktail uh, fundraisers and stuff. That, that's a job I want. And then but where the work really occurs is representing your client, which, of course, are the co-ops here in the General Assembly. Let the listener know exactly what what does that lobbyist do? It, education. Uh, you have 139 colleagues. Uh, fewer and fewer of them represent electric co-ops because there's a drain in rural Virginia, folks moving out of the district, out of state, to northern Virginia, to more populated areas. So more and more decisions are being made by people who have no idea what an electric co-op is. So a lot of it's education, under explaining to folks the difference between a community-owned nonprofit utility and an investor-owned utility like Dominion. Uh, and, and it's very different from how we operate to the decisions we make to how and why we make those decisions. And it, it's telling that story um, for folks to know that not every utility uh, operates the same way. Not all of them are regulated the same way. Um, so it, it's a lot of education and not even uh, on the industry and the business model, but you've got 3,000 bills to read. You can't know everything about everything. So oh, yes, I do. <laughs> not the rest of them can know everything. <laughs> I'm omnipotent. <laughs> And omnipresent at the same time. I don't know what the difference is. But yes, uh, there's a lot of bills that go through. Some of them have nothing to do with you. Some have everything to do with you. And some, you know, by proxy may impact your business. So during a general day, say you've got five or six bills you're interested in, maybe a bill you want passed, maybe a bill you want killed. What do you do? You go and talk to people. But you can't start there. You've got to build trusting relationships over the course of a year or over many years so that when I come to you and I say, Bill, this bill's a problem. There's a, a level of trust between us that I'm not coming to you uh, and, and misrepresenting an issue. Right. And you've got to be informed and be able to, as you said, educate us on what it may be, because not everybody knows everything about electric. Um, you know, I, I got an education actually from John Lee, well before you, V-Horn. 
uh, about uh, co-ops and electric and 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 the whole industry. So it, you know, you do educate, but sometimes you get a you know kind of a bad rap because when they think of lobbyists, they think lobbyists run the general assembly. It's the shadow government. It's the secondary that actually moves the primary. Um, you know, does anybody talk to you? Does anybody call you to, or even a friend? I mean, I or when they hear you're a, when you're a lobbyist, it's like, you know, I stir crap at the uh, poop factory down in uh, Mecklenburg. So la- uh, last session, casinos had 74 lobbyists in the halls of the Capitol. How many did y'all have? Uh, two. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's no, uh, no backroom politics oh, there, Bill. Guys, I'm sorry I brought the low-end lobbyist here this time, not the guy that's got all you the big You get what you clients. pay for. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been with uh, the co-ops? I've been with the co-ops almost 10 years. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a long time. It has been. <laughs> so I've been here 13 sessions, so you've been here the vast majority of them. Okay. And how do you like your job? I absolutely love it. Um, we represent the best folks in the world. I come from rural area, get to represent the rural interests. We are the folks that get to wear the white hat. Really? You're that confident in that? <laughs> yes, I am. Well, I mean, I guess compared to APCO and Dominion, that's, uh, you're the skinny one in the fat parade. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you, you do come at it, you know, and John, talk about this a little bit. You do come at it in a different way. We think about Dominion power, and right now we're seeing electricity rates in, at the average user, end user, skyrocketing, or at least they're seeing a noticeable difference. Um, co-ops are different. They're not like APCO. They're not like uh, Dominion Energy. Tell us how Mecklenburg Electric is different from what we all assume to be the big, the big electric monopoly co-op, non-co-ops. Well, I think the main driver behind the cooperative business model is that we're not for profit. Uh, what a cooperative does is collect throughout the year what they think they're going to need to pay the bills, and at the end of the year, whatever's left over eventually goes back to the member uh, in the form of what we call capital credits. I, I think to me, though, as, as somebody who's been in the co-op business now for 30 years, the greatest distinction is that we answer directly to our customers. Um, you know, they, they can vote for who goes on our board of directors. Uh, we have close relationships with them. I think Hermie will tell you that, you know, mm-hmm. Southside Virginia is a close-knit community. The whole region is. So how did co-ops even exist? I mean, you've got the big boys. You've got AEP, APCO. Uh, you've got, what's the one in Northern Virginia? Well, APCO me, or? Let me, let me answer that. Bit sure. Absolutely. Um, That's who I was asking. To. I may have been looking at the, V-Horn, but I was wanting you to answer. It's hard to look at you. Buddy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and seeing you in the headphones and microphone reminds me of the old saying, he's got a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess... The, the easiest way to say this is that the co-ops came about after after the, the State Corporation Commission divvied up the high-density areas. And as in most cases, when it comes to infrastructure, it's all about density, right? right. You've got to have so many customers per mile to recoup your investment and, and stay, uh, you know, business uh, – stay – financially healthy right? well and so. as, as the SEC the state corporation commission says uh, el- electric companies are able to make what's called a quote reasonable rate of return end quote correct so they can't make too much uh, but they can recoup some losses and and but they're entitled to some profit correct and right. that those rules don't really apply to us again because we're not for profit but we are regulated by the commission mm-hmm. uh, I think one I think about 85 percent of the co-ops in the country are not regulated at all. Uh, Virginia is one of the states where they are, and uh, you know we we appreciate our our relationship with the commission. Well, what's the genesis? I mean, so 
you know, you're talking about density with with APCO and, and Dominion. Certainly, we're sitting here in Richmond, and this is a very densely populated – Northern Virginia, very densely populated. Hampton Roads, we could go into the densely populated areas. How did co-ops become uh, such a necessary part of our area in Southside and Southwest Virginia? Because community leaders got together and decided they wanted the same luxuries and uh, – um, and amenities that come with electricity and built their own electric system. So, so you're talking high- about like farmers and, and small absolutely, business absolutely. owners? Absolutely. Why? Because the big ones weren't coming around? Well, the investor-owned utilities, again, you know, and let's just take density, for instance. I think Dominion's density is upper 40s, maybe low 50s. Okay. What does opinion. that mean to That's a guy like me? Meters per mile. Oh, okay. okay. Customers per mile. Okay. For us, we're just under seven. Oh, yeah. Wow. So you can see the difference there. So and that's a lot of wiring in between those. Oh yeah. yeah. So you got a lot of wire miles, but ask me not a lot of customers. About you know our rates versus investor-owned utility rates, and what I say is, okay, if 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 you make the assumption that both Dominion and a co-op can build a mile of distribution line for the same amount, then they divvy their their cost up amongst forty-eight to fifty customers. We divvy ours up amongst seven. Whoa. Okay, so that'll give you some idea. And, and so that's the reason why they wouldn't come out there, because it wasn't worth their money. Exactly. And it was the same way with the mob bills in the 50s. Uh, the co-ops, at least my co-op, stepped up uh, for Southside Virginia in the 50s uh, because mob bill didn't want to come out there because there wasn't enough accounts. And then uh, here we are in the present, uh, building out fiber, you know, the best technology in the world for broadband. Um, and once again, because our members called us and said, you got to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. You know, you and I were having that conversation before broadband, and the, that became that that you were getting into it. And and you were talking to me about that the co-ops were looking at the future business models and the problem that we had in our rural areas, which was throughout the rural areas, where we were losing some population. Our younger people were going out of state or to another part of the state because the jobs weren't there after NAFTA and CAFTA, and they weren't being replaced. And then you also said that made your average age of a co-op member older is that right absolutely okay absolutely and so so you were looking at you know maybe a reduction in revenue stream uh if the population kept shrinking and part of the population kept shrinking i think because a lack of access to information in the 21st century world of technology that we have and you came up with i know all by yourself with no one else's idea that hey man uh, we could get in the broadband game and bring broadband to the rural areas in the inner cities, right? Uh, well, it wasn't just me. It was a team decision. Well, that's what you told me at a well, bar one night. I know, but you, you said know, you did it all. Bourbons, I'll tell you anything. <laughs> um, I think, Bill, for us, we had been waiting for some opportunity to come along to where we could make a difference for economic development in Southside Virginia. I mean, we're a small organization. Uh, Mecklenburg's got about 100 employees, and we serve nine counties down along the North Carolina line, and we serve over into five counties into North Carolina. So we're not a huge organization, and and as I said, we're not for profit, so we don't we don't have cash laying around just to spend freely. Uh, when we do something, we got to be very prudent about it. So we waited and waited and waited for something to come along that we thought might give us an opportunity to make a difference, right? And when the whole broadband thing came up, you know, we, we bought a company in and they helped us do a business plan, which was scary. 
uh, to say the least. <laughs> Why? Uh, just because the numbers didn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? The numbers didn't make a lot of sense back in the 30s when they were running electricity to every home either. So, you know, we, we went ahead and the board took the step. And we said at the very least, if we'll undertake it, maybe some of the other ISPs who have ignored Southside Virginia for years and years and years might say, okay, we don't want to lose our market share, so we better get in the game. So, you know, for Mecklenburg and my board, Empower Broadband was a, a way to bring fiber and broadband to Southside Virginia, but hopefully it also would stir up enough to where others would come in and do the same thing. You know, for us, when we decided to move forward, it was all about the people that Mecklenburg Electric serves having access to, to world-class broadband. That's all it was about. We, we didn't care who did it just as long as somebody would do it and do it reliably and affordably. And and that brings me to where I really started to get to know you. I'd met you during my early sessions. I think it was like the second session. You had the pole attachment issue. And he talked me into it, and I met him and, and immediately liked him a lot. He looked like a chubby Burt Reynolds, kind of, you know, the poor man's... <laughs> At the poor man's Dominion Energy CEO that he is. And um, and so he he tells me this story. He says, hey, man, uh, was Verizon and, and some of the other companies use the poles that Mecklenburg drives into the ground and hangs their electrical lines on, the Mecklenburg lines. They would attach their, what, broadband line? Well, it could fiber? be coaxial, it could be fiber, it could be old copper, it could be anything, any kind of communications medium. And then, so they, they, they hook them on their lines, and they have to receive them, but then Mecklenburg Co-op would have to maintain them at their own expense if they fell down, any power outages, any of this stuff. And the whole reason was they were why they were hanging them on these, uh, on these electric poles that belonged to Mecklenburg was so they could get to the more dense areas, and they were skipping over top of our heads to get to the more dense areas. And so when he told me this problem, this was years and years ago, I said, this is ridiculous. Because it seemed to me that fiber, that coaxial cable, which is very useful for the person whose house or farm is just down the road from that line, why couldn't they hook into that? And so we put together a pole attachment bill that would charge them just a flat fee for maintenance of, of each pole that they hooked their fiber optic on and we actually offered them you know this is how naive i was and i thought i had the winner we offered them free um that that you would do all the work if they would if they would hook up to uh to your customers your members then it would be free and you'd take care of all these costs and that would bring more access to information to the mecklenburg co-op customer and their answer, as they looked at me like I'm the biggest moron on the planet, which I guess back then I really, really was. I'm only slightly a moron now there, Shep. Was they went, no. No. And they fought us and they fought us and we ended up winning that sucker. And that was a real lesson in legislative processing. I mean, it was just amazing that we have this kind of competition out there. We're not working together. We're working opposite and against each other, even though we should be helping other, each other out, especially these industries and corporations. But I think that's a perfect example, Bill, of what, what kind of separates the co-ops. You know, I mean, again, you know, our, we, would, we would have gladly done that and laid down on the pole attachments if we could, if we could have just gotten internet service for our members. Lay down on the pole, John Lee, that's right. Yeah, yeah that was horrible choice. <laughs> well, you may want to rethink that. So, so you know, again, I mean, I, I think 
it's ironic you bring that up because I think that's kind of one what one of the things that got this whole ball started down the hill. And you know, I, I'm really proud of the state of Virginia. I mean, I th- I think Virginia has been so incredibly aggressive about bridging the divide, if you will, and. For whatever reason, I hate that term. I guess it's just way too overused. But oh, we got a lot of terms up here, like uh, oh, really? the, the camel's nose under the tent. One of my I oh, kick yeah, the can like down that. the road. These are all euphemisms and phrases that well, we used. To well, well, sorry, I, sorry, I added to the list with that. There you go. It's a new one. Um, but you know, again, I, I think what we're doing is going to make a, a tremendous difference. A tremendous difference. You know, Mr. Lee, what we you touched on it earlier down in Southside and rural Virginia, how important broadband is. You know, Mecklenburg County. Uh, we still have low property taxes compared throughout the Commonwealth. We have a lot of undeveloped land for, uh, you know, commercialization. But we have to have the infrastructure. And broadband and, and fiber optic is such an important part of that. So when you start talking about economic growth and economic vitality, this project that y'all have undertaken is just tremendous for our entire region. And if I'm not mistaken, it is supposed to be offered to every customer, correct? That's correct. That's correct. The goal at the end of the day will be that every that every customer has an opportunity to have access if they want it. We, we got it there, and we've been very pleased with our take rates uh, in the areas that we've started. We just got over to uh, Greensville County. We've started up over there and built some fiber into that into that county as well. We're uh, right now in the middle of a three-year, $150 million project. Then uh, we were fortunate enough to get some funds from Vadi, $69 million in, in grants from Vadi to, uh, to build out um, – the broadband system in four counties, uh, or I should say three counties and a portion of one, uh, the, the southern part of Charlotte County. Um, it, it, it's already making a difference. Um, you mentioned the big M earlier. And oh, I'm yeah? Not, and I'm not supposed to mention Menopause? Uh, no, not that one. Bill. Oh, okay. Uh, but your mind is always where it always <laughs> is. Um, you mentioned the big Especially M. Especially when it gets older, I guess. Metal one of the things that we manipulate. found out early there was that the folks that worked there were driving back and forth every day to Raleigh. Yeah. And one of the reasons is these people are responsible for monitoring uh, these huge data centers. And they got to have some horsepower at their home or wherever they are. So they can monitor these things, and when we, when we started building out, especially uh, to the communities around Lake Gaston and, and it's going to be my next question. I mean, it was it was amazing to me how quickly they and we hear from the real estate agents all the time. You know, it's just first or second question out of their mouth. Hey, do, do they have good broadband yep. here? So, you know, we're seeing we're seeing some of that already, and that that's a great thing, Bill. You mentioned, you know, our youth migrating out of the area and. Uh, you know, I hope this will be something that helps keep them close. Yeah. I mean, let's all face it, whether you like it or not, this working from home thing is, has gotten some traction since, the, you know, COVID. And, uh, but you can't, you can't work from home if you, don't have, if you don't have great broadband. I can remember about three years ago, David Lipscomb came and gave a presentation to our Chamber of Commerce about broadband for every house a customer. And we were thinking, my goodness, what an undertaking. And it is an undertaking, major undertaking. But he gave a fantastic presentation, and I asked him that day, how much do you think Lake Gaston residents and Curlake, Bugs Island, will drive this? And, and you just touched on it. I'm sure it's a, a tremendous uh, you know, requirement and a load on the system to get those customers 
uh, you know, that fiber optic. Well, remember, they faced, they faced the same big obstacle when they built the electric lines back in 1938 in Mecklenburg, too. Um, you know, starting from scratch to build out a, a whole system is, is quite an undertaking, but it's going incredibly well. We feel really good about where we are. Uh, obviously, folks are pounding on us about getting it yesterday. Uh, everybody wants it now, and I get that. And I, I finally told a, a lady the other day, a very nice lady who was very persistent, well, ma'am, you know, we can't mitigate 15 years of Internet service providers ignoring Southside Virginia in a year or two. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, right. you know, we're we're coming, and we're being just aggressive as we possibly can. Um, and, and we'll get there. I mean, no doubt we'll get there. We're hooking, hooking them up every day. I mean, every single day. I mean, every day in the Commonwealth of Virginia, more and more people have access to world-class broadband now. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about some stuff that works only when the, when there's no clouds in the sky or anything else. I'm talking about something that's real and works around the clock and has the horsepower to do all the things folks use in their homes now. And one other thing, Bill, you mentioned, too, is the declining age of our population. But I wouldn't let that be something that fools you with regards to broadband use. Um, farmers especially and, and folks in agriculture uh, are really, really starting to use the Internet for a lot of things. And, and, and some of the farmers that we serve uh, on the electric side are some of those that are screaming the loudest for Internet access. I mean, they need it to check commodity prices, you know, decide when they're going to sell their soybeans and, you know, things like that. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So, And I, I think we all know every single day there is another reason why you have to have broadband. There just is. I mean, you can, you can put it off now if you want to, but sooner or later you're going to have to have it. You know, y'all have a, an office in Emporia Greens. We've been there since I'm you know, close to I've been born, if if not so. And I mentioned Dempsey Hardaway, a longtime right. employee right. of Mecklenburg Electric. Uh, Mr. Williams has been down there forever and ever. Um, I mentioned my daughter's boyfriend, Corey, works for y'all. Yep. I say one thing that I've I've always been impressed with with Mecklenburg Electric is y'all's ability to get and keep good employees for long periods of time. And especially in y'all, well, every industry, but in y'all's industry too, having smart people that turn into loyal employees, dependable employees, because outside of broadband, y'all only get attention sometimes when you're not doing something fast enough. But y'all have a big group that's been there a long time. So how do you do it? Well, I, I think I think it's the culture. I mean, I really do, and I know that I don't want to throw another cliche on top of your heaping pile. Bill. Oh, go for it! You're just you're uh, just throwing them out. But I'm on a roll, right? Um, it's a culture. Um, you know, it, it's a funny thing to me, and and I use this analogy all the time, and I'll use it here. So, I I can't. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan, and I detest the New York Yankees. I just detest them. And my apologies to any New York fans that are listening, but I, just, the Yankees just drive me nuts, okay? Everything about them. But every year, they'll go pluck some player. It could be in the, in the minor leagues, some player that's barely hitting at the Mendoza line, and they'll take them up there to New York City, and they'll put the damn pinstripes on them, and they make the damn all-star team. They just do. It's because it's the Yankees. It's because it's the organization. It's the aura. It's all the things mm -hmm. that make the Yankees a great organization. I think that's the way it is with Mecklenburg. 
you know, I think we hire good people, and especially people who, who are good right here mm-hmm. in the heart, uh, and have a good work ethic. And when they come in there, I think the organization just gets the best of them because they want to give the best, right? We're very much a family, and when your back's against the wall, like you you have 50% of your system laying on the ground after a hurricane, and you look around the room, you better be looking at family members mm-hmm. because you're fixing to work day and night for the next four or five days in, in the most god-awful conditions and craziest things going on around you. Uh, you better be able to look at those folks and know they'll be there for you, know that they're working safe because that's the number one thing yeah. that we do is work safe. Um I think the co-op's just a good place to work. And it, it takes a good family unit for y'all's employees, too, especially the ones on the ground because, you know, Corey, every once in a while, they may have stuff to do, whatever, and Corey calls and hey, I got to go to so-and-so. I got to go to so-and-so. And, they, you know, it could happen anytime, you know, and, it, you know, we heard, you mentioned hurricane, but all different kind of storms or problems or whatever. But, I mean, you got to have people that – are willing to react and adjust right away because y'all are in more important, more important than anything else, the customer service business. And so I imagine it takes families of these people too to be very supportive and understanding as well. You know, it, we we try to get the, the our families together every once in a while. And the first thing I'll do, and I do this at the rodeo too in Doswell, is I thank the spouses. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our guys are leaving the house in the middle of the night. You know, it's sleeting. They don't have power either. You know, they got little kids in the bed and the wife's sitting there and, and they walk out the door with her to go put the hooks on and get everybody else's power back on and she's got to fend for the you know for everything that's there by herself so we we talk a lot about the spouses um you know and what a, a tremendous sacrifice they make because you're right i mean i mean it, that job comes first mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if it's a birthday party or mm-hmm. a dance recital or whatever else when mecklenburg electric has people who are without power then that's number one behind working safely mm-hmm. that's number one so you know we got to go, and and I think that those guys take tremendous pride in what they do, more so than any occupation I've ever seen. You know, when we're out there in the middle of the night, and you hear it come across the radio, okay, we're fixing to make her hot, and they make her hot, and the lights come on. That's what fuels these guys. Man. Yeah, it's not the money, it's not the benefits. Mm-hmm. What drives them after ten, twelve, sixteen hours of work to keep working? is seeing the lights come on and know that they made a difference for whoever. And it ain't all glory. I mean, these guys, I hear the stories. They go off and sometimes not able to get to a hotel, sleeping in a truck, doing all these other things. And I hear the, you know, I know these guys make good money and they got good benefits, but they sometimes, because of the um, the the situation that may be going on on the ground, I mean, they don't, it's not like they're, you know, going to the, to Taj Mahal, to Taj Mahal yeah, and hanging right. out. I mean, these guys are are whatever it takes to get it done, and sometimes tough, tough conditions. Yeah, and so co-ops have co-ops across the country really help each other out. I mean, we we'll send, you know, we'll send our our guys to Florida to help out. I mean, anywhere we need to go to help out, we will. Uh, and and I think you're right. I think they're the most mentally and physically tough people that I know because mm-hmm. they can do it. Yep. They make no mistake about it. Now, they'll lay their head down in that truck and go to sleep for 10 hours and get up and go out or another 16. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that goes back to the drive and the motivation that they get from how much pride they take in their job. Those guys love their jobs. Uh, and, and it's a job, I think, that you that you get to see 
the fruit of your labor. When the lights come back on and folks are standing outside, thank you, linemen, mm-hmm. you know, for our, bringing our power back. I mean, I, I think it's just something that, that, that they get that that's just more than what they get as compensation, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they just love their jobs and they take great pride in them. And, and we got great ones. Well, and, got and, great. and, you know, we're at New College Institute. We're starting up a lineman academy. You've got one going on in Southside. It trains somebody to be a lineman, to be certified as a lineman, to be hired by Mecklenburg or one of the other electrical electricity companies. What does it take to become a lineman? And what does it pay? I mean, because there are a lot of young people out there that if they knew what a good job this was and what a good paying job this was, and, and has how, as you've just described it, uh, we, we need more people on the line being linemen, do we not? We, we do. I mean, there's always, a, there's always a need for them. And now there's a particularly big strain on, on that group of employees because everybody's building fiber. You know, we have a, a memorandum of understanding with Dominion. Dominion's building out middle mile all the way through their state. And then we're going to come in behind them and use their middle mile to serve their customers, too, not just And do what's called the last mile? Is that what Do what's goal? called the last mile. Which is the finish. Yeah, that's right. It, okay. That's the goal. So right? if I wanted that's to be a mission. lineman, what's it take? You know, you go to NCI, you go to Southside Community yeah. College. What's it take to become a lineman? Well, first of all, thanks for all your help in establishing the school in SVCC. Um, we've graduated, I think, Andrew, over 450. That was another one of your genius ideas that I think was just really good. Well, I'll give Jeff Edwards, uh, the retired CEO of Southside, some credit for that, too. He and I, he and I were talking one day and, and, and just really identified that we're fixing to have a huge in-mass exit of great linemen that have worked for us for years because they're retiring they're getting older they're they're getting older and it's a it's a tough job that's tough on a man's body you should know bill the way you scurried up that pole we're going to talk about that i i went on otj with the mecklenburg electric guys after a tornado there's got to be some video got to have video (laughs) there there's there's pictures there's pictures and they can be had for the right (laughs) for a small fee i believe we were in halifax was it not we were uh, we were at Stanton River State Park in Halifax County. There you go, and it was hot as hell, and we'd had a tornado rip through there and rip down some lines. And I wanted to figure out what Mecklenburg did, and so I, I called him, and he said, "Come on out." I came out there that morning. They had a uniform for me with my name on it. Still got it. Love it. And uh, go out there in the bucket truck with all the fellas, and realize very quickly, not only am I completely incapable of this job. But they were going to show me how incapable I was by by demonstrating the rigors of the job itself. And we had a really good time. I watched these guys. Great bunch of fellas. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they mocked me pretty hard. They put me in the bucket truck, sent me all the way up, and then started jiggling it. And I'm <laughs> sloshing around, thinking I'm going to fall. We, we got everything we wanted from Bill that year in the <laughs> I dropped down to my knees right, and tell held us on the, the truth. Side. <laughs> tell us the truth. Did you pee your pants? Um, they were dark pants. Uh, they had given me as a uniform. I don't have the pants anymore. They were FR, I have the shirt. And they were FR pants, too. <laughs> I have the shirt. I don't have the pants. You know, Mr. Lee, you were talking earlier about... Oh, the, hold on, hold on, Jeff. Oh, now, I'm the sorry. best part was, is that numbnuts over here, John, gets me, says, why don't you get on the, you know, what do you call them things again? The hooks. Uh, the hooks. Right. And climb the pole. Yeah. And I'm thinking... All right. I'm Those things you strap on your leg. Yeah. 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 These like spiky things. Yep. Yep. And I'm thinking, I can do that shit because I was watching them do it. You know, they're going up and down. So that doesn't look too hard to me. And, um, you know, they got the lasso kind of hook thing that they hit up and then they walk the up. Belt. They, the belt. There you go. Thank you. See, I learned so much. And I got in there and I got about uh, 
two feet off the ground. He froze. Uh, I don't know if it was a freeze up or a complete lack of coordination on how this looks so easy is so damn hard. Or it might have been my weight combined with the 102 degree heat. I got two feet off the ground. So John Leak is his photographer to, to put to put himself on the ground on his belly so it looks like I'm way higher. Oh, up yeah. In the air. <laughs> Imagine that, a politician getting a photo op. Yeah. And, then, and then at a later date, we were at a, I think we did a, I did a fundraiser, and I just said, well, we'll just do a roast of me, because we tell jokes about it. And, and the MC was John Lee, and he had a slideshow demonstrating. And the first picture looked really good. I looked like I was up there, got the hard hat on. Like, got the hooks and the belt on. <laughs> the next slide shows that I'm two and a half feet off the ground. Yeah. And what did you call me? We Willie. Little Willie, stud line. <laughs> And so I had a great time with those guys, really great bunch of fellas, and learned a lot, but really made an ass of myself. I'm glad we're outside. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute. How long does it take to be a lineman? Well, that, that kind of course was 11 weeks, okay? And For you, 11 years. Dude, I can't do it. It's too big a job. <laughs> to climb too one pole, Army. Too but, manly. So uh, it's an 11-week course, and they'll come out with what we call a groundman certification. And then, you know, they'll catch on either with a contractor or with a utility, and then they move into the journeyman lineman program. So this is the first of really two steps. Our journeyman lineman program is four years long. And that's through the company. I mean, that's while they're working we, there? We do that through our own organization. Of course, Dominion, everybody yeah. has their own journeyman lineman programs. Uh, but you, you said, what do you, need to, what do you need to do it? I mean, you have to have a good, strong working knowledge of electricity, obviously, first, because electricity will kill you guys. I mean, I mean could I just walk off the street? I don't know much about electricity. My daughter loves Nikola Tesla and say, man, I can be a lineman, or can you teach me that? If you got a good work ethic, heck yeah, we okay. can teach you. Or, or that program, that certification program, like run it, SVCC or NCI, gives you that base knowledge in electricity. And Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and by the way, Bill, I mean, every every utility in this state, including Dominion and AEP, has, has folks working uh, for their organizations that went through that school, every single one of them. And what's I mean, the we have we have at least se- at least six or seven. What's the pay? Including including his his daughter's boyfriend. Now what? Now so a lineman he can make pretty good money. Can he oh not? yeah, I mean I you know he or she. if a lineman will go on call and and volunteer for duty and sometimes you know we only need a crew and you, if you take somebody's call you of course earn the money. I mean a lineman can make six figures. It, it, you know. Wow. But again, remember. We may call you at two thirty in the morning, yeah. and it's sleeting outside, and you can't see three feet, and you got to come to work, so uh, and get out of a warm bed and come do your job. So. What um, one thing that, especially in areas like ours, is we need to continue to bring attention to opportunities for men and women in these types of things that you don't necessarily have to go to a four year college and get a right. diploma education. Absolutely. You can go to your point. And 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 if you're willing to, you know, to g- get through the school and do the right things and be a company-minded person, to like you, as you just said, uh, can can if you work hard enough, make six figures. We need to bring attention to that and and let people know, even in rural areas like we live in, that there are opportunities. How do y'all let people know? How can how what can we do to let more people know that it may not be cut out for? college that these are opportunities that they can go and have a chance to make a good living you want to talk about a day in the life of well i want to talk about that and girl power yeah Uh, so a lot of our co-ops have what they call a day in the life of alignment they do what you just said they go to the high schools ask for the guidance counselors and say who are your kids who may not be cut out for a four-year liberal arts college uh let's get them in a truck let's let them do a ride around like what bill did 
And they'll see. Yeah, I went to no, it wouldn't be like what Bill did. <laughs> That's why I was, I be, was it, like, the programs It was fail. much more impressive than what Bill did. <laughs> it was real out there. We, we, we would want people with just a little bit of athletic ability. He said work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you take them out, you put them in a truck, and, and first thing, and we learned this at the Powerline Worker School, is you got to get them up high first because if you don't like heights, that's not for you no matter how much you want to do it. Um, so they'll do that and show them you can stay home and you can do this uh, and you can make really good money. We've also started a program, we've done it two years now, called Girl Power, where we do a similar type thing. We go into uh, local high schools, and they have um, uh, invite high school-aged young women to come out, and we have a complete presentation out at our training grounds where they learn the different pieces of the utility operations. They get to go out and, and see the poles, climb a pole, um, learn everything from the electrical engineering to the line working piece of it. And I think we've got two or three female line workers yeah. at co-ops across Virginia but just showing them this isn't just a male-dominated industry anymore. Um, it's a good job for folks who want to stay in rural Virginia, and it's a good job for anyone, men or women, who want to stay in rural Virginia. And speaking of fiber, I think the next big opportunity, Hermia, coming along is the fiber tech school. Um, you know, there. Yeah, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Vhorn. I just realized that. Remember what Chris Rock said: a father's only duty is when he has a daughter, right? Keep her off the pole. You're saying. <laughs> The opposite. Just depends on the pole, right? Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, you don't want to slide down one of these poles. Okay. No. I, no. The two feet I slid down were really bad. <laughs> Scary even. So another workforce opportunity coming along now in addition to that one. And, and let me tell you, you know, linemen are retiring in our industry every day. So uh, the need goes on. And I think that's why every – uh, every one of those those classes over there is slam full, and they got a waiting list. And we've got an NCI coming in. Based on our conversations, we've got the Broadband Academy coming in as well. It's great. Nope. It's and it's going to be veteran-centered, uh, offering free education to veterans who want to get into uh, not just, and as you educated me on broadband, not just the installation. I said, well, you teach somebody and give them a credential, and you lay the broadband down, you lay the fiber cable. And that's it. And he's like, no, the biggest part is maintenance, right? Well, it's maintenance, and, and it's just keeping up with the technology. I mean, they're splicing. I mean, you've seen these fibers. I mean, they're like a human hair, and it takes a lot to it takes a lot to maintain them and keep them up. And I mean, if you're if you're touting, you're bringing the best in the world and the most reliable in the world, then by golly, you better deliver that. And and we certainly plan to do that. But I I think these these schools, these fiber tech schools, are going to be tremendously successful. And if you think about what's going on just in the Commonwealth, and we're you know we're out in front of everybody because we've been so aggressive about it. Um, but just in the Commonwealth. You know, there's four or five co-ops that are building fiber and putting fiber in right now. Dominion's doing it. AEP's doing it. I mean, everywhere. So state know. is really supporting it financially. You've got probably some federal grant money too that goes along with that, and then the Tobacco Commission. The Tobacco Commission. I give credit for Empower getting started in the first place. Right. You were on it. I, I was. came there and asked for 2.6 million. And the way it started was, you know, we asked for $2.6 because we needed to build fiber to all our substations and our district offices. And I'll never forget this. Our chairman, David Jones, uh, who's from over near South Hill, yeah, you know. I do know. David. He said, well, how can we build that and not offer our members an opportunity to take advantage of it? And, I, and that's when the tide really turned in our boardroom about moving forward. So we came to the Tobacco Commission and Bill and uh, – his compadres there uh, saw fit to give us those, that first two hundred six or two point six million, and that's what got us rolling. So, yeah. and since then we've been fortunate enough to get some Vadi grants, some CARES money. What's Vadi? 
Vadi Virginia Telecommunications Initiative. Very I'm sorry, good. and that's no, no, a program. I know it is, but I just wanted everybody, uh, the listener, to know what it is. That's a program administered by DCHD, mm-hmm. um, and and again, I'm really proud of Virginia. I think Virginia has really made a commitment, and and you know, if we can if we can keep the obstacles out of the way and and maintain a good, steady, consistent pace, I think our state will do this before any other state. What, what are the obstacles? Well. <laughs> We've encountered several obstacles that we've been really fortunate to sit down with folks and, and, and work out uh, without having to go to the legislative route. And I, and I want to say one thing really quickly, if I could, Senator. I, I, our, our lobbying team, uh, Andrew and Sadie, we're very proud of. They do a great job. They do. And I think the electric cooperatives, in my mind, have a reputation uh, of sitting down with anybody that we're crossways with and trying our very best to hammer out an agreement. <laughs> we'll talk about that in just a minute or so, two, but yes, you do. And, and I think we've been successful with that, uh, with solar. What a novel concept. So and They do. And, they and do. We, we really, really, really and it is make concept. every single effort to try to do that and to come up with a you know mutually beneficial um, solution that keeps us from having to go with a nuclear option. And, you know, for us, the nuclear option is coming to the legislature. You know, that's the nuclear option. Really? We sat down um, We sat down with these folks that we're going to talk about last year, and we threatened them. Hey, we're, you know, if, if you don't work with us, we're going to have to go that route. Um, and they told us they would, but they didn't. So this year, I didn't think we had any choice. Uh, VDOT. VDOT's been great to work with. VDOT can, you know, can be a considerable holdup if we have to wait a long time for applications, you know, to put fiber in along the side of the road in the VDOT easement. Um, and you're talking we, also to a scope of work. I mean, how many miles of fiber are you laying in Southside and Southwest Virginia? Oh, at the time we're done, it'll be six or seven thousand miles. Six or seven thousand. That's miles. just one co-op. Yeah, that's just and that's just us. And I mean, and and when we talk about the money, the the, that's coming from the different organizations. It's not just open ended. They want you to get this done in a certain period of time. Oh yeah, it? we got three years for this one, Bill. And it, you know the the schedule is aggressive. What happens if you don't finish in three years? Well, I think we can apply for an extension. I don't think that's going to be looked upon very favorably, and 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 we don't like that either. By the way, all the ones we've done to this point, we've gotten done on time and and done the right way. But I think the greater concern, Andrew, is that some of that money comes into jeopardy uh some of it's yeah, federal funds away. yeah some yeah. of it's federal funds that if it's not spent in a timely manner goes back they claw it back and especially you don't know where the economy is at that time and the government needs that money they won't give you a second shot one other thing too one other early uh kind of issue we had was with was 811 and locates getting the other utilities to to get out there and mark their stuff so we didn't cut it when we came in and put fiber in but we were able to we were able to work through it with those folks too we had the same issue with them we had a bill last year to reform the 811 system they came to the table and we put together a working group we solved that problem outside of the general assembly we didn't yeah i was gonna say i didn't hear anything about that but now this year i mean before we even get that we when you lay the last inch of fiber optic cable how many households are we talking about now in south side and southwest that don't have broadband haven't had broadband will now have broadband within the next three years oh geez well you know of course it's their choice whether they sign up sure sure sure. but But how many passings go uh i think we're at like twenty-five thousand passings that's just your part that's just mine but but collectively there are two to three hundred thousand Homes still to be passed for for Virginia to have universal broadband. You know, and and the funny, it's not funny, the important thing about this broadband is 
I don't have broadband. So my children know. We get satellite, which is, you know, if the bird poops on it, uh, it takes two minutes to download. Um, it's really bad. Or... And it's just horrible, but like there are, heat here. There, there's, <laughs> hey, hey, John, do you know anything about uh, gas heat? Do you know how to get the pilot uh, kick back on? No. Here? Okay. All right. Just checking. <laughs> well, then you can consider. John is sitting here shivering right now. I'm, I'm really feeling bad, but I feel nice and comfortable. Uh, anyway, but but we're talking about um, getting information to students, modernizing our schools, and what and putting more tools in the toolbox for teachers. Uh, you talked about the farmers being able to to sell their product in a 21st century marketplace. And also, what you said even earlier was bringing in new industry, bringing in those industry people, either if they're telecommuting or the bricks and mortar industries that need to have that broadband, that superconductive highway in order to conduct their everyday business. We are at a disadvantage from Northern Virginia that takes it for granted. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's for most people in Northern Virginia, it's like turning on the spigot and the water comes out. For us, I don't have broadband. I want broadband. I even called my good friend John Lee and said, John Lee, get me some broadband. He said, you ain't that special, boy. And I said, okay, just got to wait your turn, boy. But now we have even another challenge, which I have signed on to. You got me very passionate about. V-Horn, give us a, give us a, give us a little bit of information on what's facing co-ops right now as you try to get those last miles in, try to bring access to broadband to all those children and families and farmers. You're, you're finding that you have a huge roadblock that seems to me nonsensical, but it really is a big issue. And I think this will be one of the big issues that are decided by the General Assembly this year. Tell us about what's going on with you guys as you try to fill this three-year contract of bringing everybody broadband in Southside and Southwest Virginia. So not a roadblock, but a railroad crossing. Oh. <laughs> um, John See, said- Did you like my setup? I did. That there you great. go. Uh, John said we're in the middle of a three-year ticking clock. To finish 200,000 connections, tens of thousands, 20,000 miles of fiber to be spread out across Virginia. And the way it generally works is the fiber follows the electric line. You string it to your poles. If you're underground, you put it in the conduit underground, and it goes where the infrastructure already is. A lot of times that has to cross over a railroad track. Uh, what we or have under. seen, or under. Uh, what we have seen is that is so I live on the other, uh, the uh, wrong side of the tracks. Is that why I don't I have, have a story broadband? about that? <laughs> uh, a very real story about that. Uh, but we have to apply. The only folks that predate electric utilities in terms of easements and access is the railroads. They were here before we were, uh, and so where ours cross, we have to apply to them for a permit to cross. That is taking at times up to eighteen to twenty months to approve one crossing. John has 65 crossings to approve. Central Virginia Electric has almost 100 crossings to do in the next couple of years. That's just two companies. So they have hundreds and hundreds of crossings to do, and they're taking up to 18 months to do one. Now, when you talk about what's involved with the crossing, you have a guy on one side, another guy grabs the wire, runs across the track, strings it to the other side. They do a couple pulleys, and they're out in 15 minutes. That's it. 18 months to approve that. And that's that's really because the railroad... In, in particular, Norfolk Southern, let's be honest, are holding up the process. And, and I even heard from the Tobacco Commission, uh, people that, that have, uh, have knowledge of this, is that sometimes they're, I would, I'm going to use, in my opinion, the word extorting upwards of twenty to $30,000 to pay for a crossing that takes 15 minutes to do because they know they're not involved in the broadband, but they want to get a piece of that well, action, which reduces they, the ability of you guys to actually bring broadband to more houses. Is they that a know fact? how much money John Lee has gotten in his most recent award, and they know how many crossings he has to do. 
So they can look at that and say, all right, I know he's gotten hundred-something million dollars. He shouldn't mind $20,000 a crossing. His first award was $2.4, $2.7 million. Yep. If they charged him what they are generally charging, $25,000 a crossing times 65 crossings, he's going to be over half of his first award would just go straight to Norfolk Southern stock price. And they would do nothing to, to assist you in the laying of the fiber optic cable, except maybe a flagger, a unionist flagger from yep. their union. Yep. Yeah. And so, and, and so, believe it or not, guys, I mean, Shep, this is, it holds up broadband in South Hills, holds it up in Greensville. You know, train tracks are everywhere in Virginia. How many crossings are we talking about here, maybe throughout the whole South Side, Southwest Virginia? Hundreds, four or 500 crossings. Uh, but, Bill, you see, made a comment about the wrong side of the tracks. We have a community in South Albemarle County right now that one side of the tracks is lit, has fiber today. The other side has all the fiber infrastructure. People can see it at their homes. It's there. They got to plug in the last 200 feet. The application was filed the, for back in... And the 200 feet's across a railroad. Yes. That's right. The application was filed for in February. It finally got approved in December. Those, student, those are students that missed an entire two semesters of schoolwork without access to the internet at home. We had the exact same situation in Halifax County. Uh, I think this was over 200 uh, accounts that the fiber was run to the home. All the equipment was put in. The only thing we lacked was one section one across a railroad easement. Well, what happens in Mecklenburg, like, as you know, most of our railroad there is abandoned. Are you still having those same issues on an abandoned track? Yeah, we've had, we've <laughs> had um, in, in fact, we had one not long ago. Um, trees were actually growing uh, up through the track, and we were subjected to the same, uh, the same process and the same time frame. So this is all about money. What? Maybe. I can't, what? I can't speak for uh, our friends at Norfolk Southern. Um, and I, I wanted to say, Bill, you're right. I mean, we sat down with, uh, with the two major railroads last year and talked about this issue, and one responded and one didn't. Right. And the one that didn't has the name of our city, Norfolk, in it, and moved out of Roanoke south to Georgia. And I think I brought that up to them. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But... But so you've got a real holdup here that threatens actually the ability to do this in three years. Is that fair? Well, absolutely. I mean, if it's if it's twelve to eighteen months per application, and I got sixty four, you do the math. I, I, I became a one hundred and fifty years. I don't do math. I don't. Do <laughs> you, you, math. you won't Is be around. True? You won't be around when we. Oh, okay. Finish. All right. Here's so. Another example. It's it's an incredibly bureaucratic process. There are times when we'll have three or four crossings in the course of a mile. I told you fifteen minutes. You could do all of those in a day. They'll require you to get a separate flagging crew and make that a five-day job, which should be a day's job. You're kidding me. Absolutely. To do all of them. To do all of them. They won't let you do them all at once. So, so clearly this would take more time and, and cost more money just to get broadband to children and businesses and farmers that deserve it, that earn it. That's our government. That's why we've been putting money here in the state government the tobacco commission because we want it and we want it now. But as you're saying, and and you did the math, was that correct math? Uh, <laughs> that it's going to take years and years and years at this rate unless something's done. And now you're at the General Assembly, which brings us to Senate Bill 806. Senate Bill 1029. 
Well, I told you. Fantastic uh, piece of okay, There you go. Send it. <laughs> so glad I never, I never know the damn numbers. I never. You can tell me about the topics, but they go, "Hey, what's your position on your bill, Senate Bill? You know, four oh seven. I'm like, oh, what is that? I have no clue. <laughs> I freaking have no clue. I mean, it's a number, right? So, Senate Bill uh, six seventy five. Tell me about it. I'm carrying it. Right? Seven nine. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we've talked about those two problems: money and time, and that's that's what this Senate bill. Uh, what's the number again? Ten twenty nine. 1029. Let me write that down. 10, Got it. I'll remember that. What is that? Ricky Rudd, uh, Kevin Harvick, 1029. Uh, that's usually hey, how they, There you go. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. That's how I used to remember all of my phone numbers, everything yeah. else, but the drivers changed so Back much. Back in the mine, day. Mine yeah. were foot. Billy Ed- Bill Elliott, Terry Labonte. Mm-hmm. Mine was football. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, so it addresses those two problems. It caps the fees at crossing the railroads uh, from some black box twenty to $25,000 to 1500 I think we're at 2000 2000 yeah. Um, and then it puts a timeline on. We, have, uh, we make an application to the railroads. They have 30 days to uh, approve it or deny it. If they don't do anything in 30 days, we can go ahead and cross. We use their flaggers, use their safety pr- uh, components, uh, the insurance and liability. Pay their is fees. There, pay their yeah. fees. Um, but it puts that 30-day clock there, so they can't drag this out. Uh, so it's not going six months or a year. Exactly. There is months. the ability of this is a, if there's a unique situation for them to wave their hand and say, hey, this is special, and it, it kicks it out of the process, goes to the state corporation commission as a neutral third-party arbiter to bring all sides together and set the price, set the timeline in a way that's fair to everyone. But it gets it out of the arbitrary system, which is where we are now. And it puts things back on track to meet these timelines. You got a nickel holding up a dollar. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, and, and ironically, I think what the bill does is really bring Norfolk Southern to where CSX is. Yeah, well, CSX, CSX didn't seem to be the problem in the meeting we had. And, that, and that brings me to the meeting. Um, so I was hearing from the Norfolk Southern guys. Of course, they've hired the highfalutin lobbyist law firm. Uh, McGuire Woods, the the real shadow government of Hunting Andrews. Oh, it's Hunting. Oh, I thought it was maybe, maybe maybe all of them. All right, Hunting. All right, Hunting. Still big law firm. Still big lobby firm. And they've been kind of squeezing legislators, trying to get them to vote against this very good common sense piece of legislation for a company that abandoned the Commonwealth of Virginia. And they were saying, "Oh, we're going to kill this bill." And I said, "Look, guys." Let's get together. Talk to you, V-Horn. Talk to you, John Lee. Let's get together. Sit in my office. Let's work this out. Um, it seemed ridiculous that we're even having this fight. And so it, what do you remember about that meeting? I blacked out. <laughs> uh, you set the <laughs> was stage? Was it here? And said, it was at my office at the General, at the Pocahontas. Oh, not in here. No, I got everybody. I got the stakeholders from the broadband side, which included you guys, and then the stakeholders from the rail. You couldn't black out in this refrigerator. No way. <laughs> I was getting to that, John. <laughs> You I'll couldn't you, I have a very long I am in starting this room. to not be able to feel my toes. So let's keep going. So we can get on. I think the most egregious thing from the meeting is we didn't know this was a problem. If you'd only come to us and told us, we could have worked with you. And they said the three problems were one, insurance, two, flaggers, and the third one was the cost. And so so we told them, you know, go make a go go bring us a proposal. But in the meantime Have you um, seen anything over the weekend? No, I saw nothing. And so, but what I, what I did when I brought them into the office was, is, um, by that time I was getting a little passionate and emotional about it. And so I may have read the railway people, the right act, uh, Not a little you. bit, a little bit more than what I usually do. Cause I'm pissed. I mean, I don't have broadband. What's really good about me carrying this bill is I know exactly who they're talking about that they want to serve me. Uh, and I'm not doing it for personal reasons, but you wouldn't, you would not 
believe the obstinance, the arrogance even, and I mean that, you know, in my opinion, of we're the railway. <laughs> we're Norfolk Southern. You know, and, and that thought they were totally justified. And the, the one offer that came back from that meeting was crap. Was just their way or the highway. We didn't address the bill. So we went back after that meeting, and and uh, I'm sorry, I smoked smoked <laughs> smoked them a little bit on that man. I was mad, uh, and I wanted to I wanted uh, some results. I, I'm reminded of you know you ever seen Top Gun when uh, Maverick does the flyby? Oh yeah, and the the CAG officer says, "I want some butts." That oh, was yeah. about the way I was. <laughs> And then they came back. And so what we did is on our own, just readdress the bill, including language for flagmen, including full coverage of insurance, and up the number to what their baseline number was in their new bill, which wasn't a bill, and then provided for if costs exceed, uh, then we'll go, you know, then we can discuss those. But the timing is still the same. And the review by the commission, if there are special circumstances, it's a brilliant bill. It's a wonderful piece of legislation, it's, and people are signing on to it. I mean, I'm walking down the hallway going, hey, I'm getting on that broadband bill with you. It's 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 a very reasonable solution. It is. I mean, it really is. And nobody – look, this is not just about the co-ops, by the way. I mean, we're not the only organization that's had issues with, with railroad crossings. There's a bunch of them, and I would suggest to you that that's why support for this bill is growing as aggressively as it is, because I think this has been going on for a long time, and – and people are finally done with it. And for them for them to even insinuate, well, we didn't know there was a problem. Well, we, we had these conversations with them last year at about the same time. Terry Kilgore had a bill on railroad crossings in 2002. The commission studied railroad crossings with regard to electric co-ops and other uh, fiber optic companies in 2010 and put out a study that has these exact same issues, costs, timelines. The railroads say the exact same thing, flaggers and uh, it's a black box and $25,000 is the market rate. And here we are 12, 13 years later, and they're saying, we didn't know this was a problem. Yeah, the first time it. we've heard it. They've just ignored it. <laughs> well, and you know, uh, if you think about it this way, they don't have the influence that they once did. They're not participating in this, you know, global marketplace, 21st century information delivery system. You guys are, and we need you to get there. You remember a couple of years ago, I put in a bill that said that we ought to just acknowledge that broadband is a utility. And that way, all the state utilities or all the utility easements that are over private property or in public areas, we just run through there. Uh, it didn't seem to get there. Um, but we, I, I think we kind of put them on notice. This, to me, is I could not believe this problem was actually occurring until you brought it to me. Well, and fathom this. I mean, just, just think about this, that if we don't get these deadlines done and we lose federal dollars that would have allowed us to connect Virginians and, you know, in the rural parts of our state with great broadband. I mean, I can't think of a bigger travesty. I mean, I just, just think about that. And because we couldn't get somebody to come to the table and just do the right thing. Look, the co-ops are – we'll pay the fees. You know, Just like you costs, would on the poll attachments. Yeah, whatever remember? the costs are, you know, we'll pay the cost. We, it, it's, the biggest factor is the schedule. The time. The costs need to be reasonable, though, and justifiable, right? Right. Yeah, it's taxpayer money. So yeah, that, that's, that's what's right. egregious there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, this is the bill we fight. It's a very interesting bill. It's really mission critical, especially you're talking about areas where you're laying fiber optic cable and, and this broadband stuff where in Northern Virginia, a family of four, the average per capita salary, you know, home income is 124000 The state average is sixty for a family of four. 
in our region, it's more like in the thirty-five thousand dollars a Sounds year. Sounds like a railroad cost, and something. less for a yeah. couple of the counties I serve. And so, what this does is laying of this broadband is not only mission critical for Virginia and all of Virginia, but but even for the children that may be living out or below the poverty line to break the cycle of poverty, to get that education, to put them into the tech talent pipeline, uh, to make sure that we are actually very attractive for those industries to come in because without it, well, we're we're kind of mulling along and and this is our chance to break out and this from a company that abandoned the Roanoke Valley and went to Georgia that's what frost my, my cojones more than anything else well too i think bill if you well, look, no, maybe this room this yeah yeah <laughs> they should always be frosted if you're sitting in here but um I think, too, when you look at the broadband effort in the state of Virginia, so many entities and groups have gotten together and worked hard together to get to where we are. I mean, I I have a tremendous amount of respect and and appreciation for the folks down at DCHD um, because I think they've worked hard to to make the money available and to do the right thing and hold people accountable for it. But the list goes on and on. You know, the 811 folks, I mean, you know, everybody has gotten on, on the same train. There you go. Hey. Uh, you know, <laughs> chugging down a track towards the same mission. Mikey metaphor over there. <laughs> and that's to give everybody in our state world-class broadband access. As you world have. Class. I mean, and, and you're the perfect company to do it because this is how you started with electric because no one would give it to us. That's this it. is how we got phones because the big phone companies didn't think we were worthy of their of their business model. This is how now... You know, what you're doing now is bringing broadband under the same guys and for the same reasons because they wouldn't otherwise do it. Same with the poll attachment bill. So I commend you. I, I really do. I'll ask this for either one of you guys, but I know you said you come to the General Assembly really as a last resort on certain things. But there's always things going on, legislation happening. Is there anything that y'all may not be directly involved in, but that you're watching this time around in the General Assembly that – that concerns or could affect what you guys are doing? That's the man to talk to right there. There's a lot of energy bills. Um, Dominion's going through a huge uh, re-regulation bill of sorts uh, to bring them, to bring how they are regulated and do away with a lot of their rate adjustment clauses, bring that into base rates. Uh, they're looking at how do they properly account for the offshore wind programs. Um, the governor's talked a lot about uh, small nuclear modular reactors, hydrogen reactors, and all of that takes a change in uh, regulation, a change in legislation. So there's a lot of energy things out there, um, but nothing that touches us directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really the biggest piece of what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you, uh, John. You know, so many people down in the lake areas are using Starlink. What is your vision once you have the fiber optic there? Do you think you get that customer back? Or do you think they're out of the market once they sign up with a service like that? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is have the local papers take a picture of me bringing a sink in somewhere, uh, <laughs> like Elon Musk did when he when he uh, got his hands on Twitter. Um, I think I think Mr. Musk is pretty preoccupied with some other things right now, and and I think uh, I think folks will switch back over to us really quickly. Two reasons why. Okay, one. Um, that satellite technology, the more people that get on it, the Slower weaker it's it going to get. Right? Sure. Okay, which has been the perennial problem with a lot of technologies, especially wireless technologies. Uh, but secondly, Mecklenburg Electric's been serving Southside Virginia for 85 years. In fact, this year is our 85th anniversary. Wow. 
uh, and people know us, and I think they trust us. I, I hope Hermie would, would yeah, agree with that. Sure. You know, we're highly involved in our communities. Uh, we're really good at getting the lights back on, uh, something we take great pride in. Um, you know, I, I think folks will say, you know what, I'm going with my co-op. Sure. You know, sure. I, I think that I think they will. And, and I, you know, I just I don't see him being able to keep up with that many satellites. I, I know uh, somebody I know just called about it and they said, well, we can give it to you, but you're going to you're going to have, you know, spotty service and, you know, so on and so forth. What does it cost on average per household for a month? What is the the internet service? Our fifty our fifty meg package is uh sixty nine ninety five. It's very reasonable. Oh yeah, very I mean it's it. We we feel great about it, and we go up to uh, we offer up to a gig, and believe it or not, I mean you'd be surprised how many of these homes they want the gig. They want they want more they horsepower. They want more horsepower, and that that's the beauty of fiber, right? Fiber can help you deliver as much horsepower as they want. Now, did y'all provide to the new school there in Mecklenburg? So schools are under a, a, a contract. They're provided a list of, of ISPs, and they, they work under a contract. Gotcha. So their contract should be coming up before too long, and I feel like you know our fiber's right there in front right, of the new school. Right. So I feel like we'll be the provider. I mean, we provide the fiber, but we don't sell the data yet. So we want to we want to get that get our hands on that gotcha. too. Hey, I know uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here, but I know y'all everywhere I go. Now, especially that I've decided to make a run for Senate, I hear people telling me all the time, I'm having to pay more energy costs. So, one, why do you think that is? And two, what will what can and what does Mecklenburg do as a whole to try to keep that under control? What, what can you control and what's out of your control? Just so our customer, some of y'all customers that will be listening to this podcast can hear it from y'all. Well, I'll take a shot at Andrew, and you, then you can uh, hit it out of the park. Um, natural gas prices. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. They, 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 if you want to look at why power bills are high right now, it's natural gas prices. And what happens all too often, Herman, when prices really get tough is like the 23rd and 24th of December when it was so bitterly cold. You know, you had some natural gas lines that were frozen at the wellhead, so you couldn't get gas. And, of course, everybody heat uses it for heating and cooling, a lot of them at their homes. And, of course, we need it for generation, too. So it's all about natural gas prices. And natural gas prices have gone through the roof. Now, the good news is that they're looking like they're coming back down. Um, for us, we get all of our electric supply from Old Dominion Electric Cooperative, which is here in Glen Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are what we call our GNT, a generation and transmission cooperative, uh, and every every megawatt of electricity we sell to our customers comes through ODEC. Yeah, and do you know that Virginia is the second highest importer of electricity? Is that still the case? I, I don't know that that's still the case, Bill. Especially, but after. we were behind California as importers. We don't generate enough electricity to satisfy the needs of the state. Is that right? Well, we I mean, we're always looking at generation. And I think, fortunately for Virginia, we're part of PJM, uh, which is our regional transmission organization, and it's the strongest one in the world. I mean, you saw what happened down in Texas a couple of years ago. Uh, people got power bills for $10,000 for one month. And that's because they signed on these variable rate contracts that when gas went up and electricity paralleled it, you know they they really got it stuck to them. So well, people think they're paying ten thousand dollars a month now. I mean, well, no, I know, Bill, and it's tough. I'm, but I, I I think again, it's it's part of a bigger energy industry problem. 
Um, you know, we do a great job at ODEC of hedging our costs. We'll go out and buy natural gas contracts, you know, when prices are down so we can use those when prices come up. But some of the things that have happened lately here in the natural gas industry have shot have shot electric rates through the roof. And it and it's about the it's about the electrons now. You know, it's not because your distribution It's always about the electrons, man. It, it's not because oh. your distribution co-op, you know, is doing anything differently. It's about the electrons that we deliver to your home. Mm-hmm. Those are generated mostly by natural gas. And natural gas prices and electricity prices are always going to move on a parallel path. Huh. Always. Andrew? I would just close out by saying that's that's one of the benefits of being a, a member of a co-op as opposed to a an investor owned God, what a up lobbyist he is look at that finish go ahead so not for profit if there's you have to you have to buy the power you have to send the power out and you make a little bit of money in the middle uh the investor-owned utilities send that to wall street they send it to their shareholders the co-op if there's anything left over at the end of the year mecklenburg sends us back to its customers at the end of the line so you know if you have a utility that's over earning that's coming back to you in the co-op model so is that like in a credit an account credit or it's you send them checks no we send them checks i mean gotcha. I, you know I, I think if you just put it on their bill people don't get it i mean when they, they when, when it, they open yeah. an envelope and they got a check back from mecklenburg electric hey here's here's what you overpaid yeah, yeah. Well, nice. it means something to them well and, and let me tell you something if you haven't gone yet you ought to go to the mecklenburg annual meeting picnic jamboree at the Mecklenburg uh, headquarters. I've been there. It's a heck of a lot of fun. And everybody, I mean, you have huge crowds that come out there, and they're all your members. And um, it's really almost cult-like. Yeah, and come and, to the uh, rodeo, too, Bill. I okay. mean, you've been to the rodeo. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think, Hermie, you talked about the sacrifices that these people make to get these jobs done. But to me, the most amazing thing, and Bill learned this firsthand, is what they do out there. Yeah. And Bill had it. It was pretty chilly out there that day, but it wasn't raining. The wind wasn't blowing. These guys got to do it no matter what the weather is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think coming to that rodeo will show you what those guys have to deal with out there in the middle. Well, of the Well, get us some information about that. We'll make sure we get our listeners out there. That is one place that you'd really want to see Bill watch this. I, climb the pole, but I want to I maybe, could compete. Maybe go, go up to four feet this time. <laughs> I think, I, look, I I'd think our good my friend best. David Sneed's band plays the picnic, doesn't it? JB and them have played, yeah. played over at Mecklenburg. Well, there you go. It is a party that you cannot miss. I mean, this has been a real incredible, interesting, and, and thoughtful and, and thought-provoking webcast sitting down talking with you guys. It's very important what you guys do. It's very important uh, what we're talking about here. I mean, and and why are the damn egg prices so high? Since you've answered every other friggin' question, why am I paying like nine bucks for a dozen eggs? What the hell's because going on? Because the avian flu killed off a whole bunch of You layers. have answers for everything, don't you, smart guy? Hey, that's Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, maybe we're going we to start asking him the question. Yeah, yeah, maybe he should run this podcast. But, ladies and gentlemen, what a great, what a great, thank uh, you all for coming ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. John Lee, Mecklenburg Electric Co op. We got my boy over here who you're the, what is your exact title there, V-Horn? Uh, Vice President, Member of Public Affairs. Okay, of what? Of the Virginia, Maryland, Delaware Association of Electric. Andrew V-Horn, there you go, and that's his full fancy title, so he can go around and tell all his friends he's, he's a big He's got shot. a big business card. Bill. Look at him, mean, he does. It's like an index card. <laughs> it's Friends of John Lee. <laughs> an F-O-J, an F-O-J indeed. Uh, one of my great friends, can't wait to go hunting with you this spring. We go bird hunting together. Yep. I'm expert at shooting them out of the trees when they've escaped my first shot. And Both barrels at one time. That's <laughs> right. And uh, we have a great time. We even have great stories about that as well. But uh, gentlemen... Thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for coming in and spending part of your Sunday with us. I think this is really informative, and uh, and I can't wait to put it out there. And then next week, gentlemen, 
Oh. Next week, we're going to have the Smith family, the Loudoun County family that whose daughter was brutally attacked in a bathroom by a, a dude wearing a dress. They're coming out. We're going to have a, just a sit down with them, probably sit there for a couple hours and, and discuss what's going on in their lives and why it's so important what they're doing and why they're leading from the front, not cowering from the back. I'm so, going to bring those little hand warmers and foot warmers for them. So <laughs> Maybe some here, blankets. Maybe. And hey, Bill, a little more personable. Yeah. Thanks for your passionate service to Southside Virginia. Too. Well, you're Seriously. Very, thank you. And you're my friend. Uh, but my respect for you is not about being my friend. It's about the hard work you do to take care of the citizens of South Side Virginia. I appreciate that. I want you to know that. That is very Amen. kind. That means a lot. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode, the third one of the season, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, full of electricity and leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left across the railroad track. Across the railroad track. <laughs> and we got our man... Shep Moss. Taking care of things in South Hill. Shep, it's good to see you. We'll see you next week, right? God bless you. I mean, you just sit outside of Hermie's uh, house and just wait until he gets in the truck and say, hey, you going to the podcast? And then, boom. Get in no, the car. No, okay. it's not like Just that. check. No, we love having you, buddy. So that's going to be a really important conversation we're having. So we'll, uh, make sure you stay tuned for our next episode after this one. Uh, enjoy your week, everybody. God bless you all. We'll talk to you then. All right, by now, guys, you know, I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash, and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back, or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors, or remodel the kitchen, or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. Savewithconrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. Conradreviews.com. You'll see more than a 1,000 five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023.
by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know, you can do better with the mortgage though. You may not know this. The interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you could get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments, buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or Hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. 